Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! Hi, everybody. Welcome back once again. This is Mark Lawrence along with Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com. Both Victor King and Jim Feist have the week off this week. And our good friend, producer Greg DePalma will be sitting in their place as we go against the spread on this week's college football playoff championship game and the NFL football card. And Andy, happy new year to you, you and yours. I hope it's going to be a great new year for everybody. And what was your thought, Andy, as we got to this college football championship game as it's coming up this week? Well, on on the one hand, well, there are several points. Number one, even though a lot of folks didn't play, the committee appeared justified in not including Florida State. I don't know that we can say that about Georgia when you consider what Georgia has done in their last two appearances, winning the championship 65 to seven last year over TCU and winning 63 to three over Florida state in their bowl game this year. Now, of course, Florida state had a lot of players not play. That still doesn't explain losing by 60 points uh, with a defense as good as, as they are. Um, But what I like is the fact that the uh, bowl season started with four unbeaten FBS teams, Florida State, Liberty, and, of course, Michigan and Washington. And uh, uh, it turns out that Florida State and Liberty, of course, both lost, both lost one-sided games, of course. Uh, But we have the two teams that are the only two FBS teams remaining unbeaten at uh, 14-0. And, And of course, in the FCS thing, uh, we've got – uh, I think it's a 13 and one team against uh, South Dakota State defending champion 14 and 0. So it's nice to have certainly at the uh, at the FBS level the two best teams according to record. And uh, you know, Alabama, no shame in their effort against uh, uh, against uh, Michigan in their semifinal. You know, it was a game that went into overtime. And the fact that the uh, uh, Texas Washington game literally came down to the final play of the game as well. So I think the committee has to sort of get a little bit of uh, an excuse me apology to the extent that now we don't know what would have happened if the other teams were in there, but we can only go based upon a what happened to those two other teams. And Georgia, of course, is the one that you can excuse uh, as far as they perhaps did deserve it. And, and I think most people I've spoken to believe right now Georgia's the best team in the country, but certainly the fact that we got two very competitive teams and the two unbeaten teams survive says, can't, it's hard to criticize the committee too much, certainly not as much as we did perhaps as when the uh, uh, selection committee made their announcement. Well, you know, I concur with you, Andy, and I also still live with the fact that Georgia would have been favored over any team that was in the college football playoffs, and yet they were on the outside looking in. They would be favored in this championship game here as well, but I guess that's all hindsight 2020 in the rear view mirror. Greg, how did you see that play out uh, over the weekend in those two college football playoff games? Well, being a Michigan fan, obviously I was very uh, thrilled. Yes, uh, but uh, they haven't won a championship yet. And that's coming from somebody that doesn't win many championships as a sports fan. So especially being a Michigan fan, they've only won one. So, um, but we talked about it last week and we've talked about it really, uh, for the last half of the year with Washington, uh, DeBoer, especially as, as a dog. And just the fact that he's a really good coach 
And uh, there was just something about this Washington team, the fact that they were able to beat Oregon a second time as a heavy dog, no, not getting the respect, and then just kind of really just blowing them out, really, before Oregon came back and made it interesting. That just showed you that this team is just not getting the respect. And, and then I also thought that they had the best, uh, the most dangerous quarterback in the semifinals out of all four that could actually just win the game outright. And he proved that last week against Texas. Not sure what kind of an NFL quarterback he's going to be, but he's a dynamite uh, uh, college football quarterback who probably should have won the Heisman. Um, and uh, I think this matchup, though, is going to be fantastic because I think everybody's going to talk about the similarities between Ohio State's team a few years ago, which was the first big win for Michigan against Ohio State when Ohio State had those three dynamite receivers and Stroud, and yet Michigan was able to win that game. So I think the matchup is really good because Michigan has some stud defensive backs. They've got a really good defense, and Washington is just loaded on offense. So it's a nice little contrast. I think it's a very nice contrast. I think it'll make for a promising football game as well. It could go either way, and I honestly wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but I know you're a big Michigan fan. I don't want to shoot arrows at the Michigan program right now. We can do a lot of that in the <laughs> offseason. <laughs> when Jim Harbaugh leaves and leaves the program hanging. But nonetheless, uh, let's see what happens in this in this game here. Uh, I, a little bit of a seven degrees separates uh, separation in this bowl game in the sense that if you asked anybody, Andy, I would ask you, what was the worst line you saw in college football this year? I'm, not, well, I, I don't, I'm, I'm throwing I, it under yeah, the I'm not. Yeah, I'm, uh, uh, I'm not prepared to really answer that. I know there were a number of head scratchers, but whenever I see a bad line – we only know it's a bad line after the result comes in because in most uh, – I've always talked about – I think I mentioned it last week about trap games. You know, what are trap games? There are trap games where the line makes no sense to you. But what that may be, it may be you more than the lines maker because you may not have access to the same information that the lines makers are using in setting the line. Part of it is power ratings. Part of it is current form. Part of it is also an anticipation. Uh, you know, If I'm making a line and I'm a bookmaker – I'm looking at, in theory, the line where you're going to draw half the action on one side or the other. And usually there could be a two to three point range. And I ask myself, you know, at what number would I really not feel comfortable playing either side? Um, so it, it's hard to say, certainly as far as the, I mean, you could go back and say, uh, uh, I'll answer the question this way. Perhaps in retrospect, the worst line was the line between Georgia and Florida State in their bowl game, which opened around 13 and a half, 14, and closed well, with Florida State. Right. Well, the, the margin fell 60, but the line went up 23 and a half points. Now, yes. was, now, now, are we talking closing line, 23 and a half, or opening line? And there's a difference in this situation because the line move in this game was not based upon it being a bad opening number. It was being a... a, a result of half the Florida State team opting out and they were going to go in a second and third stringers who were inexperienced. And so that line move, which turned out in retrospect to appear to be a bad line, was actually a bad line only because of the information that came off after the opening line was made. And I think the opening line that was made already factored in some of the people that were expected to not play for Florida State. So that may not be the answer that you have, but the way that I'm in, the way that I look at bad lines are not necessarily bad lines that are set, but ones that occur as a result of movement, not due to lack of information. Well, I probably should have uh, prefaced it by saying uh, during the regular season, as opposed to what we see in the postseason or the bowl games here. Uh, Greg, any thought about that? Because there was a line when it came out, you just looked at it, you said, this line is wrong. It's easy. 
Tell me. Washington, Oregon. Absolutely. Yeah, Washington and Oregon. We talked about it when the time yeah. when it came out. Exactly right. It was like, my God, what is this? What are they doing? A double-digit favorite? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Uh, but nonetheless, they did, and there ended up being some support, Andy, I'm sure, in Vegas for Oregon in that yeah. football game. Didn't go. Lot, there was a, tremend, a tremendous amount of uh, uh, support that that line was. Uh, you know, they, they had played a three-point game earlier in the year. Washington won by three. I believe it was at Washington, if I recall correctly. Yep. And you know, when you take a look at how that game played out, People were saying, and I understand uh, in certain cases, Oregon was a better team that day, yep. even though they lost. And now yep. they're playing at a neutral side with everything on the line. And, you know, you had uh, you know, two outstanding quarterbacks who were in the Heisman Trophy uh, race. By the way, I, I can't disagree with Daniels of, uh, of LSU winning because of the top Heisman candidates, he had to do the most for his team because his team had the worst defense of those three. And he checked, he checked more boxes than anybody else did, too, as far as percentages go, uh, yards per pass per play and all those good yeah. things like that. So he did all those things, and he was deserving of it. Maybe a lot of people weren't quite as well aware of him as the hype that arguably perhaps Michael yeah. Penix or Bo Nix were getting at the time. I, really, I honestly could not have argued with any of the three if they had won unless it, unless it was a tremendous landslide. I agree 100%. I think he's going to be the best quarterback in the, in the NFL draft. I know he's not going to get picked number one, but I think I, if I was a GM, I'd pick him number one over Michael Caleb Pen Williams every day of the week. Penix? Yeah. Uh, no, um, uh, Daniels. Yeah. Oh, Daniels. Okay. I think yeah, he's going to be the best quarterback. I think he's going to be able to play like C.J. Stroud did this year. I think he's going to come right into the NFL next year, and he's not going to miss a beat. I know you were on him from the get-go, Greg. Uh, we, we talked our shows for our lad shows, and uh, you know it was always about buying in and buying uh, – buying Daniels at this price when it was this big. And then it's, yeah. it went down and, you know, buy a little bit more at this price and buy a little bit more at this price. But uh, you were spot on with the call. Kudos to you. And uh, I'd be curious to see whether or not he will be the first pick in the National Football League draft. No. Caleb Williams is being talked about like the, like Peyton Manning and all these other great quarterbacks that have been picked number one. He is like the anointed absolute. Now, good. Things can change. We've seen him change before, but he's got so much – traction from last year to this year to this it's just it just seems like it's a foregone conclusion to everybody that he's gonna be the top guy well you know the physical stature the size the prototypical national football league quarterback he's all those things uh one of the things that uh turned me off a bit about him uh, aside from some uh, untimely turnovers which he uh, really falls into a bad habit of doing is the fact that he bailed out on his football team in the bowl games and uh to me it's a complete turnoff uh, Drake May from North Carolina opting not to play to protect himself for the college football draft. I understand they're in a business, but uh, that's not what they started their career as when they went to that university. They started that career uh, to go to the school, help the football program win. And when it, you know, when it came time for the school to reap benefits from that, they bailed out, they parachuted. And uh, I, I heard a comment from a, a GM, a national football general manager saying that somebody asked him, do you put much credence or stock in players that do that. And he said, absolutely we do. And the reason is, is because that player is that it testifies that they're playing for themselves and not playing for the team. Uh, so will Caleb Williams be that kind of a player? I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if that's not who he is and, and his personality and so forth and whatnot. But I think when push comes to shove, he will be the number one pick in the NFL draft provided of course, everything goes well uh, in all the, uh, the combine combines. Exactly. Right. Andy, your thoughts on who you will see as the number one pick in the NFL draft? 
Well, again, if you're talking quarterbacks, I could make a case for uh, Bo Nix, uh, Michael Penix Jr., and I could make a case for uh, Jalen Daniels. I could probably make a better case for all three of them than I could about Kalen Williams, uh, Williams rather, because of how Williams did not play up to last year's level. He, you know, he may end up regretting not having come out last year. Because you would expect, and the performance of the entire team, and I'll make the comparison to Daniels. The USC defense was horrible. The LSU defense, maybe just as bad or certainly poor. Daniels was able to overcome the defensive deficiencies. And as I remarked before, even though they had three losses, it may be the best three-loss team in college football history, considering the losses were to an unbeaten Florida State, uh, a one-loss Alabama at the time, and a two-loss Ole Miss team. Uh, who also performed well in its bowl game this past week and against uh, uh, Penn State. So I could see any three of those, or I could see all three of them going ahead of Williams, though I don't think that will be the case. Someone will take a look at the natural attributes of Caleb Williams and say, we can correct the turnover tendencies. We can correct some of the other decision-making things. This guy has the stature of a prototypical, as you use the word, NFL quarterback, and that may uh, vault him to the top. But I would not be surprised if he does not go number one. And again, what's interesting is Chicago has, you know, boy, talk about Carolina. They, you know, they, they can't manage to do anything right, including making a trade for the number one draft choice and uh, trading it away. Uh, the decision made, and I, I happen to be one, I'm still a believer in Justin Fields. I would not trade him for, uh, for the number one, for the, you know, I would not trade the number one draft choice or I would keep it. Trade him not, away, right. Trade, exactly. I would not trade Fields away. He's made progress in his few seasons. And then you think about the fact that they surrounded him with some talent this year, including part of the trade with, uh, with Carolina. And you take a look at the fact that they've now invested several years in him. If you're going to tr- trade him and draft the number one quarterback, you're basically throwing away three years of development where he's gotten to the point, especially because of his running ability, he can be a solid, not necessarily, he doesn't have to be an all-pro quarterback because of what he can do with his legs. He doesn't have to, he does not have to compensate with his arm as much as other quarterbacks who are less mobile than he is. And they've got some talent around him. Use that number one choice to maybe bolster the offensive line. Maybe get, uh, you know, we don't know if Harrison's coming back yet for Ohio State. but oh, he's coming imagine- yeah, yeah, I, I think so. But c- can you imagine him and his, uh, you know, his former Ohio State uh, uh, quarterback together? That's I it. think that would be the way that if I'm the Chicago Bears, I would go for that. Yep. And you're look, you are looking at a team. Look at the NFC North right now. Minnesota is a team on the decline because of the age, Kirk Cousins, etc. Green Bay is in a similar position as the Bears with a nice young quarterback in Jordan Love who finally got an opportunity this year. Detroit is probably up there as well, but I think there's – I am going to wait and see what the odds are when they come out, but depending upon – and I may even do it before the draft as I've done years past as far as playoff teams or Super Bowl teams. I don't know if I could do Super Bowl teams uh, with the Bears, but I can certainly do them to make the playoffs this coming year. Well, you, you know Chicago is going to fortify themselves in the offseason in the draft because of all the bullets that they have. And, Greg, let me ask you this. If oh, and by, by the way, one last thing. Yeah. Chicago Bears' defense improved dramatically over the second half of the season, and they were virtually impossible to run against for most teams. Exactly. And, you know, uh, all of which leads to the fact that Green Bay is going to have their hands full Sunday because this Bears team is playing some really, really good football. And the Chicago Bears well remember uh, that – Loudmouth Aaron Rodgers proclaiming that he owns Chicago last year. I think they would like nothing better than to go into Green Bay and uh, 
shut the case and uh, to close the other uh, other than perhaps being scheduled. I don't know what the schedule is yet when they're scheduled to play playing the Jets with Aaron Rodgers, a quarterback. Yeah, that's true, because it would be Rodgers himself. Yep. But Greg, I was going to ask you, you're the Chicago Bears. You've got all these ammunition, all this arsenal. You know, they have to they have to go after Marvin Harrison, Jr. The quarterback's not going to be of interest to them. Are you going to give up any of your arsenal to make sure that you do acquire Marvin Harrison, Jr.? Where they're at right now, it's looking like the only question they're going to have is, is do they take Harrison number one or do they look around and say, do, do one of these teams want to guarantee that they get, say, Caleb Williams? And I'm talking about a team that might be drafting second, third or fourth because you don't right. want to go too far down so somebody could take Harrison. So what you do is you either take Harrison first or chances are you get a really nice deal and it could be something simple. It doesn't have to be a first round draft pick, obviously, but just to move up a spot, sometimes that is what they're asking for. But um, I think the best strategy is to go out and try to see if you can just move down one or two spots. You still get Harrison and you add additional collateral. And I see that's happening because I think we all agree. And I think they are, I think they're seeing it as well. Fields is definitely more talented than people are giving him credit for. He doesn't have a whole lot of under supporting cast and he's shown just enough that there's no reason to give up on him. And so I think this is the perfect opportunity to load him up. And I think they could do that and do it smartly. They did it smartly by acquiring this additional pick. And why not uh, swing the same type of trade again this year? You're San Francisco 49ers. You've got Joe Montana as your quarterback. You've got the number one pick. You go after Jerry Rice, okay? Uh, You don't need another Joe Montana. And I think the Chicago Bears have to go after Marvin Harrison Jr. Maybe it might mean that you forego drafting a quarterback because this draft is going to be filled with quarterbacks and really top-notch, high-quality quarterbacks. But it's not what Chicago needs. And I think they have to do anything to make sure that Marvin Harrison Jr. is wearing a Chicago Bears uniform. By the way, Harrison will make Fields a better quarterback by his mere presence. Absolutely right. And you mentioned, Danny, a good point on your part, that they'll reunite from their days at Ohio State. So it's not going to be a, a relationship that learned, has to learn to develop. It's already been developed. It'll just, uh, from this point, moving forward, maximizing it out. By the way, hey, just so you know how deep the quarterback class is, you guys are talking about Penix and Knicks. Just, just uh-huh. so you know, as of today, most draft experts have Knicks and Penix as late first, early second round quarterbacks. Wow. Who, do, who do they have in front of him in the first round? Just uh, uh, the three, the Daniels top three. and uh, Daniels, Williams, May and Caleb Williams. Yeah, May, uh, and they're yeah. probably all going to go in the top four or five. See, the only guy that's why you probably go actually top four. You're probably going to go three quarterbacks and Harrison in the top four. So if I'm if I'm the Bears, maybe what I think about doing is making a deal with another team that you can trust, trade the number one pick to pick the quarterback that that your partner wants and get in exchange for that pick, another high pick and maybe a player or maybe a later uh, round pick so that uh, if you can trust the, uh, the opposing general manager, you can assure that uh, they will get uh, uh, Harrison for you. Well, that team might have been New England, but they played themselves out, I think, with that win they had uh, two weeks ago of having that number two draft pick. In the, in the lottery. I don't know who's going to be the number two pick. Who's I think if that? they lose to the Jets, which they haven't done in 15 tries, uh-huh. I think if they lose to I think they could still get the second pick, I believe. I think it's what possible. about Arizona? Yeah, they yeah, won but, two last week. So, yeah. 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 And would Arizona want a quarterback with what they've got invested in Kyler Murray? I wouldn't, no. It's a similar situation in many yeah. respects to Fields. Yep. Yes. Right. You've exactly. invested time in him. He's shown his some his versatility. You can always refine some of his, you know, mechanics, 
but uh, he's uh, certainly worth uh, uh, keeping on if I'm the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals are a little bit different, I think, than the Bears to the extent that I think right now the Bears are closer to being a playoff contender than is Arizona. Uh, not just because of their roster and the improved defense of the Bears, but also the division there. And I don't think the Rams are going away anytime soon. Seattle still has to be uh, considered uh, a quality team in that division. And the same thing, of course, obviously with the 49ers. Hey, guys, you're tuned in to Mark Lawrence Against the Spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. I'm visiting with Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas and Greg DePalma from the Prime Sports Network, our producer of the show. With that, let's move on over to our featured National Football League Game of the Week. It's being brought to you by our good friends at uwager.lv, where I remind you that every Friday is minus 105 juice. Every game you bet for the weekend at minus 105 juice and same free day payouts. Check it out at 1-800-U-Wager or log on at uwager.lv. And with that, let's set up our National Football League Game of the Week. And on paper, this looks like it absolutely should be the Game of the Week. The problem here is, guys, we're stripped and devoid of some talent in this football game. <laughs> but that's what the case is in the National Football League the final week of the season. But I'm alluding to Saturday's matchup between the Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens. And we know that uh, Tyler Huntley will be a quarterback for in this football game for Baltimore. It's still going to be uh, for Pittsburgh – uh, their quarterback of choice. They, they, uh, in fact, there's talk about Kenny Pickett being ready to play and not being able to give him the position. He's sort of sulking about that. Uh, but nonetheless, Andy, how do you see this game shaking out? Uh, are they going to come and play this game like a real football game, like, or is it going to be more like a preseason game? Well, we know Lamar Jackson is not going to play for Baltimore, and that's understandable to a certain extent, other than the fact that that means he'll go 21 days or approximately 21 days without uh, uh, seeing action as uh, they won't be playing in the wild card round as the number one seed. So they'll have basically three weeks off, depending upon whether they play uh, Saturday or Sunday in the uh, divisional round. But uh, uh, it's not a bad idea to get Huntley in there, get some some uh, some practice in there. Uh, we've seen him perform well in the past. And, uh, you know, you always want to have a quality back. If you're the number one or actually if you're a playoff team at all, you want to have a quality backup just in case there's an injury uh, in one of those playoff games. So I don't think that's a, a bad thing. Um, as uh, Pittsburgh, yeah, they've done well with Mason Rudolph the last two weeks, but he's now going up against a, uh, a top-notch defense in the Ravens' defense. And I've always felt that when it comes to players resting, the defense player, defensive players, I think, always try hard uh, because they're out there delivering the hits, not taking them, as right. opposed to the offensive players. Uh, I've had a long-standing rule that goes back almost two decades when the Steelers and the Ravens meet. And now, of course, Bill Belichick has the longest tenure of any coach in the NFL. This is 24th season with New England. But if you take a look, I think Tomlin is in his 15th or 16th season, and John Harbaugh is, I think, one season less than that. I think one came in in 07, one came in in, in 08. And the division rivals, bitter division rivals, um, when you looked at, at the history of the series, I have a standing rule every season, regardless of how good, bad teams are, I'll take an underdog with three points in this rivalry. Now, I've been able to get four in this rivalry earlier in the week with Pitts, with uh, Baltimore, even though they are uh, they are playing a Pittsburgh team that has a possibility of making the playoffs. And at the same time, Baltimore can't do anything. They're already locked into the number one seed, but the players are still out there looking to uh, – I, I, I don't think any team wants to go into the playoffs with negative momentum. Uh 
Pittsburgh can still win the game, and if they win by a field goal, I'll be perfectly happy. But I've got it. I I almost feel compelled. I suppose if it were different, and one of those two teams was eleven and five, and the other was five and eleven, we wouldn't be seeing a three-point line. So I wouldn't have to make that decision. I would think also, Andy, that uh, if you're the Baltimore Ravens, you're John Harbaugh, you do not want to see the Pittsburgh Steelers in the National Football League playoffs. Uh, if for no other reason, the familiarity between these two big division rivals, the fact that they do play real close football competitive games, as you mentioned, the three-point margin in the game, there's been more three-point margins in this series than any other series there is in the National Football League, going all the way back to 1980, at least in my database. So it's a team I think Pittsburgh uh, or Baltimore would feel comfortable not seeing in the playoffs. And you've got the John Harbaugh factor here that uh, he plays to win every football game. We see that in the preseason. And he's going now with Tyler Huntley as a quarterback. But you take a look at Huntley. He started nine games for Baltimore. He's won six of those nine football games. Uh, I'll be on the Baltimore Ravens side of this football game. Greg, how, what's your take by, on this? By the way, let me just – because you brought up a point that I was thinking about, the fact that they don't want to see Pittsburgh – uh, in the uh, playoffs, I gave that some thought, and I, I don't have the tiebreakers in front of me. But who would they rather see in the playoffs? Since they'd be playing them both at home, Pittsburgh or Buffalo? Well, obviously Buffalo. They would rather not, you know, because of the talent that's leveled there. But I, if you're John Harbaugh, you're not sleeping at night knowing you're taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers in a playoff game. It's just because it's Mike Tomlin. It's the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they know you inside and out. They know you like your wife. So that's a real good question, Andy. I don't well, know because, because a Pittsburgh win, I, I'm not sure exactly what the impact is, but it does affect Buffalo's chances of making it as a wild card. It has nothing to do with Buffalo win, making it as the AFC East winner. They beat Miami. They're in. They lose. They could be out of the playoffs. And I think a win by uh, a loss by Pittsburgh aids their cause of making it as a wild card. Yeah, that's exactly how it works out. Uh, the way it is for Pittsburgh is, is the only way they get in was a couple of ways. Uh, the winning way, of course, is that they need a Bills loss or a Jacksonville loss. But they can still get in if they lose. And the only way they get in if they lose is if Jacksonville loses and Denver wins. So there's still a shot. That's a legitimate shot to get yeah. in is if Jacksonville loses and Denver wins – even if Pittsburgh loses on Saturday. Now, so by the way, ha after having said all this, I don't think John Harbaugh is thinking about those possibilities. I don't think at all. so either. I, I think he's saying, let's go out and win let's the go football out and win. game. That's it. Exactly right. And let the chips fall where That's they it. may. Yep. <laughs> the buffalo like, chips, you mean? Yeah, the buffalo chips. Good, good one there, Andy. Uh, so that's. I think what ended up being the most enticing game on the football card, we can argue about the Miami-Buffalo game taking place Sunday night. There'll be a lot of intrigue in that and a lot of possibilities working there. You have a Buffalo football team, guys, that could uh, either win the division or not make the playoffs, depending upon how things unfold before that football game comes about. So You know, you know Mark, I was going to mention, because we're going to talk about line moves later, but that's a very important thing to keep in mind, is that Buffalo might be in a position – that if they lose, they may already be in the playoffs uh, in uh, uh, based upon Saturday's results or earlier Sunday results, meaning that they could rest players knowing that they also have to play the uh, following week. I think that that's the way that Buffalo gets in the playoffs. Greg just mentioned the, po the possibilities. It could be if those situations occur, Buffalo, knowing that they're in, even with a loss, might rest players that would affect the betting line on the Miami Buffalo game, which right now is three, three and a half on Buffalo. That game could go down to a pick 'em, so it might very well be that uh, 
and I imagine they will take that line off while the games that impact Buffalo are being played earlier on Sunday and maybe even on Saturday afternoon. But that's one of the things we'll get into a little bit better uh, later when we talk about line moves is that you may want to anticipate that if you've got certain scenarios that you feel are likely to occur that affect the playoffs, you may want to get in and make some plays on or against that team before those games are taken off the board because those lines will move once the games are finalized. And if you happen to have a strong opinion, you may be able to profit from that. Yeah, Buffalo is uh, in the playoffs if Pittsburgh and Jacksonville lose. So then all of a sudden, Buffalo and Miami become exactly equals in that game where it's all for the division, and that's it. They're both already in the playoffs. And, yep. and in that situation, you may want to act on Saturday night if Pittsburgh does lose because there's a possibility Jacksonville is a road favorite, but without Lawrence or certainly at 100%, you may feel that Tennessee has a good opportunity to win that game, but the line may not move on the Buffalo-Miami game until that uh, Jacksonville game is over because it would affect Buffalo. Andy, that's a great point you make because if Pittsburgh loses, I think you're also going to see a line move in that Jacksonville game because of just what you just mentioned right yeah. there. And uh, uh, before we move out of that Pittsburgh-Baltimore, because we talked about this, uh, what, a couple of months ago when he played and, and, and we brought up the trend. It was similar to what Andy was talking about, the three points and all. So he, here's – Here's all the research I did, obviously, uh, with uh, I couldn't do all the research or any of it without the uh, Playbook magazine. Um, but here is the official trend on the dog in the series. The dog in the Pittsburgh Baltimore series has won outright 12 of the last 18 and That's has covered fun. with a 15, one and two record. 15-1-2 against the spread, the dog in the last 18 between these two. The, so that's the last 18. And in the last – and by the way, week five was the matchup. Pittsburgh upset Baltimore as a four-point dog, 17-10. Now, let's also keep in mind in this streak, it's 9-3 straight up, 11-0-1 against the spread in the last 12, and 5-0 and straight up and against the spread in the last five. So all of that says – now, you might say, okay, which – but this is the last game in Baltimore's resting players. So I did research on this. 2019, Baltimore was already the number one seed in the AFC, similar to this year. Yep. Pittsburgh needed the win and one more team to help them. They needed Tennessee to lose. If Pittsburgh won and Tennessee lost, Pittsburgh was in the playoffs. Baltimore rested seven pro bowlers in the game. <laughs> including Lamar Jackson. Do you remember who the quarterback was in that game? Well, for Baltimore? It wasn't Huntley. No. Nope. Can't 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 think that. RG three. Robert okay. Griffin. Oh. By the way, do you know who the quarterback for Pittsburgh was? This is harder because Ben Roethlisberger got hurt in, the, in about a little bit more than midway through that season. And and oh. you know who took over for him? Probably somebody that was in the league for just that game. That's I don't know. Free, well, it. almost. Yeah. yeah. Devlin Hodges. Oh, there you go. Wow. Was the Devlin quarterback Hodges. for Pittsburgh. He went, he, he started the last five. He went two and three in those last five. So it was Lamar Jackson. It was, excuse me, it was RG3 versus Devlin Hodges. And in that game, Baltimore was a two point dog and won 28 to 10. Yep. <laughs> and what did that tell you? Didn't matter. It's no se seven pro bowlers sat, backup quarterbacks in. We don't need the game. And Pittsburgh blows out, uh, gets blown out by Baltimore. Uh, by the way, with what Greg mentioned, you know, 
if those numbers that Greg mentioned over the last 18 games involved, oh, I don't know, let's say a rivalry between Arizona and well, Arizona and the and the, the Rams, for example, you're talking about a different a series of different coaches for each team over those 18 games. In this Baltimore-Pittsburgh, you're talking about the same coaches for both teams. Exactly. And they'd already had plenty of experience before that 18-game game, uh, situation uh, began to evolve. Yeah. A lot of commonality in, existing yep. there. So here, here's, here's, here's a point. How about this one, though, Mark? Here's, yes. here's a funny one, too, though. This is, this is what makes you think, though. Baltimore is 5-0-1 against the spread as a home dog since 2017. The last time they lost... Okay, as a home dog, was the Pittsburgh, which was wow. o- with the only <laughs> loss straight up and against the spread for a dog in this series in the last eighteen. When when was that game? Uh, let's see. Uh, that one actually. Let's see. It was since two thousand seventeen. So I think that was two thousand seventeen. The reason I mentioned that Big Ben may have. St- Probably, unless he was injured, was probably the quarterback I'm in sure that game, right. and he was probably better than uh, who? Whatever. I guess it must have been. Maybe it would have been still Joe Flacco. Yeah. I'm not sure, but it certainly was 2017. About, yep. Yeah, you're talking about a Hall of Fame quarterback. That wouldn't be a surprise. For sure. So the point Greg makes in this game about it being a very doggish series, what do you end up with here? You end up with on Saturday the number one seed in the AFC is a home dog in this football game, in a series that's done nothing but been underdog in the football contest. I don't think a person can make a case for Pittsburgh here personally, unless you're of the belief that uh, must win games mean you have to bet the team. Uh, I'm from the philosophy that if it's a must win game, you must not have done something right to put yourself into a position to be in a must win game. Yeah. There there are two different types of must win games. One is the one that you just mentioned. The other must win game is a little bit different. You're already in the playoffs and you can move up from say the number two to the number one seed with a win. It's a must win game, but a different type of must win. It's probably more like, gee, we really like to win this game and we've got something to play for as opposed to we have to win this game and we've got something to play for. So there are two different types, but most people just think of it the must win as being to make or, or not make the playoffs. And it's different if you're already in and you've got something to gain. And by the way, I, I don't even know how this is a debate between Mason Rudolph and Kenny Pickett. I mean, I'm not a big Mason Rudolph guy, but the guy has been amazing in the last two starts. Pittsburgh, let's remember this Pittsburgh's offense has been terrible all season. And so yeah, he comes it wasn't out good of nowhere. With it wasn't good with Pickett either. No. Correct. He right. comes out of nowhere the last two starts and has amazing starts. You can take him out. Now, right. who were who were those starts against? Well, last week it was against a team that desperately wanted to get into the playoffs, Seattle. Right. And then the week and, before that or, was another team that was desperately trying to get into Cincinnati. Right. So both well, the Cincinnati one was a little bit different. Well, we're talking about the offense there. Cincinnati sure. not that great on offense this year. A lot of it had to do with the fact that they had defense had a uh, or the the offense. Uh, excuse me, that the Cincinnati defense had to cover up for the absence of Joe Burrow for a number of games before he got injured for the uh, end of the season. Seattle's not been the same strong defensive team. Baltimore will be the best team that uh, Mason Rudolph will have faced. Of course, again, you've talked about uh, uh, you know defenses still being, uh, I mentioned earlier about defenses coming to play more often than offenses coming to play because you're delivering the physical contact rather than absorbing it. But the, the, the other reason why I do like Baltimore in this game is that this line, even though Pittsburgh needs the game, really seems too high when you're talking about the history of... Now, if the line were three, 
I'd probably still lean to Baltimore, but I think that that's a better line for this series, given the history of the series and given the history of the fact that, uh, I don't know, where does Huntley compare as a quarterback with his relative inexperience compared to um, uh, the uh, uh, Mason Rudolph? Well, he's not chopped liver. Uh, yeah. Huntley is not. No, um, he's been no. very good. Yeah. yeah, he's played very, very well for them. Uh, okay, guys, let's move over to uh, – we're going to get to Andy's – uh, line movement segment. We're going to play a little bit of a different tune to that. But uh, before we do, Jim Feist, who's not with us, pre-recorded what he told me was probably his best segment of the year. Greg, what was it? What was the subject matter that uh, Jim did? Do you recall? Yeah, he talked about the uh, playoff picture, and uh, okay. also, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he, he said the same thing to me in a uh, in, in a text. He seemed pretty excited about uh about his video um so he talked about that 20 teams are still in the mix for playoff spot uh, spots um uh, players are playing for their jobs even though even if they're out of it 10 coaches should be gone by monday so uh yeah uh he talked a lot about it. and he also has a play that will will uh will give a little bit later on uh, this week which was is a total play so a little bit surprised that Jim's uh, pick of the week is a total play, but he does have a play this week as well that we'll talk about. Okay. So are we going to play Jim's segment yeah, here or we can okay, do that. if you would, you want to roll it, that would be great. Well, I know we're listening. I'd love to hear it. That, here we go. Jim, okay. Thanks. Good morning, everybody. It's Thursday morning. There's no Thursday night football game. There's no Friday NFL football game. We do have the college championship game. And when you look at that game, you know, you think, well, Jim Harbaugh, with all his experience, and he has a lot of it, and it's all quality experience, he's done a lot in football, and it's all been, I mean, you may not like the guy, I mean, there's something about his personality people don't like, I like him, but uh, he knows how to win. And physically... Could he take over this game? And I mean, Washington doesn't always play a team like Michigan. And uh, we saw at the end of the game how, and I have to say this, I had Alabama and I lost. I thought I had the right side when they were up by 20 to 7, 20 to 13 late. I thought I had the right side, but Harbaugh just outcoached Saban. I'm not saying Saban's done. I mean, he's a god. He knows football, and he's got a lot of talent. But at the end of that game, Harbaugh coached him. And that very well may happen in this game as well. However, if Panic stays upright, and that's Harbaugh was, you know, he was actually an NFL quarterback. So he knows what the hell he's doing. And he did lead San Francisco. So he knows what the hell he's doing at the highest level. There's a lot of edges here for Michigan. However, that quarterback issue, if he stays upright, he's going to be difficult to handle because Michigan doesn't see people like him. So that's the real question. And the line going up the way it is, I have to be on Washington. It's just, it's a must EV positive expectation play. So that's where I'm at. In the pros, now, some people are going to say this is preseason. Well, it's not preseason because, first of all, the rosters aren't 105 people. This is down to the 
the nitty gritty here. The, uh, <clears throat> other than Cleveland and other people bringing in quarterbacks to play. And by the way, Cleveland's resting everyone. Cincinnati is playing out the strength. They're not going anywhere. Line open two up seven. Cincinnati's the right side. And if you're in a place where you can tease it down, I'd tease it down. I laid a four because I kind of knew what Cleveland was going to do. So Cincinnati's the right side. They have, now you talk about what do they have to play for? Jobs. Not everybody's going to be an NFL football player. There's only 32 teams in this league, unless you play over in Europe or Canada or something like that. They have families. Some of these are young men. Some of these are middle-aged men. Some of them, like, you know, Brady was a little bit older. But they're all playing for jobs, and it's this is what they've done since they're kids. So they don't want to lose their jobs. So they're going to play for themselves, their contracts, their stability in the league. So don't listen to all that bullshit. They're playing for draft choices. There's not a player other than it's on a 10 or 15 year contract that's playing for a draft choice because that draft choice is going to take their job. Come on, give me a break. Anyway, Pittsburgh's four at Baltimore. Baltimore's a dangerous, dangerous team. They're better than Pittsburgh. Motivation, it's all Pittsburgh. The line goes from Baltimore two to Pittsburgh four. That's too many. I'm not playing it. Uh, by the way, the weather, there are some bad weather games that you have to keep your eye on. And because it's Thursday and these games are Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm not going to get strung out like I did a couple weeks ago and I got blasted. Bad weather reports cost me money. Houston, Indianapolis, both these teams have something to play for. The game went from Indianapolis one and a half up to Houston one. <sighs> Tough game. Uh, you, you have to love the story of Houston this year. The rookie quarterback playing great, missed a couple games, got a concussion. He got Steichen, the, the, the head coach at Indianapolis, who's tough game. Can't call it. Atlanta, New Orleans, garbage clubs. Uh, the Atlanta coach is probably gone, and he should be. Made a lot of bad choices. Um, not not in love with New Orleans, but they took advantage of the Bucks last weekend. I have a feeling that Tampa Bay knew. I mean, they didn't play well at all. And New Orleans is not as good as they looked on that field last week. <clears throat> but Tampa Bay knew that all they had to do was win the next game. And they were going to win the division. How'd that play on your head? Maybe, maybe. A lot of guessing going on. This is why it's a soft week. The Jets in New England, Belichick's probably his last game. I look for the New England to put up an effort. I don't know that everybody likes Bill Belichick, uh, but we know who he is and what he's accomplished, and God bless him. He's had a hell of a year, career. <laughs> the Jets are a mess. I would, I would lean to New England here. Jacksonville at Tennessee, we don't know about Lawrence. Game went from three and a half to five and a half. Tennessee's a mess. Vrabel might end up being the head coach at New England if the rumors are right. It's just a rumor. If Bill leaves, somebody's got to take over. But 
and Vrabel's a good coach. Minnesota at Detroit. I don't know what the hell Minnesota was doing last week. It's almost like they played not to win, putting in Hall at the quarterback position in a game that was meaningful was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. And um, Detroit, they got screwed, sort of. They outplayed Dallas in a lot of ways. Not every way, but a lot of ways. I like I like Detroit. I think Detroit really has something going on. They're very inexperienced in the playoffs. That might catch up to them. Campbell is a warrior. The players like him. He is one of them, and that makes a difference. Uh, I don't know what to do with that game. Tampa, Carolina, I think I just, I think Tampa wins this game. I think they win it. I think they cover it. Carolina is dangerous because even though they have a wacko, very wealthy, very smart owner that is a little bit out of control and needs to be reined in, but there's nobody going to question his competitiveness and his intelligence. He has that. But because he's a 20 billionaire or a 50 billionaire or whatever he is, he's used to getting his own way. That may not work in a league full of very wealthy owners. <clears throat> By the way, the rumor is that the owner of the Rams, and this is off the cuff here, and I don't know if this is true, but it's kind of amazing. The owner of the Rams has more money than all other 31 owners combined? Is that possible? Wow. Where the hell did that come from? <laughs> Dallas, Washington. Dallas, of course, wants to win. They have everything to win for. But 13, Washington's a mess. Um, but 13, it's hard to lay points like that. San Francisco and the Rams, they're both in. The Rams are going to probably start Wentz. San Francisco's going to start Donald. So they're sitting a lot of players. But San Francisco's head coach is very likely to play some, if not all, except for Purdy and McCaffrey, the first half or the first quarter or something like that. So if I was going to bet this game, I would probably bet San Francisco first quarter, San Francisco first half, and then let it go after that because the Rams aren't playing anybody either. <clears throat> Seattle, oh, Chicago, Green Bay, we skipped the game, excuse me, Philadelphia Giants. Without a doubt, the Giants are the play here. They got a lot to play for. The head coach had a bad year as coach of the year previous year. This was a bad year, but Taylor, quarterback, uh, is a big upgrade. I don't know where the DeVito thing came from. That was kind of a great story. But Taylor's much better. Uh, Philadelphia, mm, they're going to have to rest players too because even Hurts is not 100%. So there's a lot of resting, and it's difficult handicapping, which is why well, the reason I'm not doing the show today is I have a head cold. It's a head congestion. I don't know what it is. It's not COVID. It's not the flu. It's it's just sinuses and stuff, and it bothers the hell out of me. Chicago Green Bay, big question. Chicago's going to have, do they go for a quarterback, or do they stay with their guy, Fields? 
field showed some promise at times. Maybe with the right coaching. God, he's talented. He's a warrior. And then you bring in a kid from college that 90% of them don't work out. Um, I don't know what to say with that. But Green Bay up from one and a half to three. Green Bay needs the game. Chicago doesn't. But Chicago is dangerous, and it's a division game rivalry situation. Um, my dog is now speaking up. Um, there is another one. There's three dogs. Seattle and Arizona. Seattle's going to try. They're three and a half down to two and a half. Arizona is dangerous. Very, 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 very dangerous. And a lot has to happen right for Seattle. I don't see that that's going to happen. Um, staying away. Um, probably play it over, but it's a big number. Up to 48, 47 and a half. That's, that's too much. Denver, they're a mess. They're benched Russell Wilson, so they don't have to pay him $39 million. I don't blame him for that. He's not worth $39 million. At this stage of his career, he's probably not worth $3,900 or $390. But um, he was great when he was great. I loved him. I loved the guy. I thought he was awesome. Not anymore. We all hit that skid in life, right? Kansas City at the Chargers. What a mess. Kansas City's resting a lot of players. You know, Kelsey Mahomes. They're both sitting uh, but the Chargers, man, I don't know. I can't lay three and a half. But if you can find a three, I wouldn't. it wouldn't hurt. But I wouldn't lay three and a half because you're asking for another score. Buffalo-Miami, very meaningful game. Buffalo's three. Miami's got a bunch of injuries, but they could win the division here. Big game. This is the best, I mean, most competitive. Should be the most. Buffalo, everybody says Buffalo. You want to play Buffalo in the playoffs because they're so dang. They haven't played that good. <clears throat> I'm not impressed. Yeah, Rosen, you know, the, the head, their coach is, not their coach, but their quarterback is an awesome football player. No question about it. But the coaching and I don't know. I don't get it. This this is a, a team that needs a shot of adrenaline. I wouldn't be laying points at Miami, laying three. I'd take Miami plus the points. But you're going to have to stay on top of, the injuries, like in everything, you're gonna have to stay on top of these injuries because not not only the injuries, but the resting players and the, I mean, take a look at Cleveland. They signed Driscoll to be the quarterback. He hasn't played all year. Now, can he play? Yeah, he can play. They're all, they're all talented football players. But that's what's going on in the league. So for me, Hands in the pocket, very few small bets. Next week, the real thing starts, and next week, we start making a lot of money. But that's for me. That's my own personal opinion. I want to thank the guys on the show. Sorry I couldn't be there this week. Uh, there was a comment I tried to answer. Greg sent it to me. I tried to answer, and I said, send an answer back to Greg. Maybe he can forward it. I couldn't make it work. I couldn't get back to the guy that wrote it. Very intelligent. I don't agree with everything you said, but it, it, very intelligent response. And, um, you know, thank you for that. Take care, guys, and good luck. 
And just as the man said, a great segment once again from Jim Feist. Very, very noteworthy. I hope you had your pens and pencils ready and marked down everything he said. If you didn't, hit the rewind and look at it and view it once again, if you will. With that, let's move over to Andy Isco. Victor is off, I say, for the week. He doesn't have any message other than good luck to everybody this week and happy new year to everybody this week as well. Andy, we're doing a little bit something different with the line moves this week because there weren't any, you said, lines that were sent out of Vegas as far as uh, early lines. Is that correct? Yeah, the Westgate had normally put the uh, uh, the advanced lines out there uh, the Tuesday before the intervening week. In other words, week 16 lines would have been put out there uh, after week 15, uh, after week 14, but before with week 15's games were played. Now, of course, they they did that even up until uh, week 17 last week. But for week 18, because of the myriad of possibilities of teams being in, being need, uh, being needing to win, etc., uh, there wasn't much point in putting in advanced lines, or at least they wouldn't necessarily draw the action. Although there might be some action that comes in if uh, people, uh, some of the betters, were shrewd enough to anticipate what would have happened in week 17, and we're making wagers on that. So. This is the one week, even though they put lines out back over the summer, well, that was, you know, four months or three months before those games were being played. It's a lot different when you only putting them ahead for 10 days uh, when the games are not going to necessarily have play, the kind of playoff impacts that week 18 games are going to have. So what we're going to do is we're going to share before Andy brings the current lines up to date from Vegas for the show here on this week. I'm going to share with you the lines that the uh, Superbook in Las Vegas, Jay Cornegay, put out on these games before the season began. And I love to compare these things on a weekly basis to find out where the line went to. Is there any justification? What was the reason so forth and whatnot? And Greg, if you've got any thoughts on any of these, feel free to jump in here because there's some of them that are really, really wildly off. By, by the way, Mark, yeah. Mark, I want to just ask you when we're doing this, do you want to run down all the lines or do you want, want to run down game by game? Cause it might be a little easier for folks to focus in. If we're talking about let's summer do game line. by game, okay, let's do perfect. game by game. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so we'll go to Saturday, uh, the first game on the card on Saturday. Uh, I believe it's, uh, it, it is, it's the Pittsburgh-Baltimore game we yeah. just talked about. And the Superbook opened this line up, three and a half Baltimore. And Andy, what are we looking at today? Yeah, the game opened three and a half. They also put the total up over the summer at 40 and a half. And of course, that was not anticipating the current situation with Pittsburgh or actually either of the teams playing with need. Uh, the line actually opened up as was not a surprise. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers two and a half. Now, the interesting part about this, which is a reasonable number, is that that might have anticipated money going in on Pittsburgh, but uh, but did it anticipate it enough? The move actually went up to Pittsburgh as high as four on the road at Baltimore, and now it's back at the uh, level where uh, they um, um, they currently are favored by three and a half on the road. The total in the game, and of course, we did not know at the start of the season this was going to be as low scoring a season. Uh, as it was mentioned that the summer line was 40 and a half. Uh, the line when the uh, was reposted was at 39. That's also taken a nice drop down. So expecting more of a defensive game is not surprising because I think if you go back over the history, they played a lot more low scoring than high scoring games uh, down from 39 down to 35. The other game on Saturday, a matchup when the Colts host the Texans in a huge key divisional matchup in the AFC South. Westgate opened that line up. Indianapolis, one and a half. Andy, what are we looking at? 
Yeah, and the total was 37 and a half. And when the line was reposted, uh, the Colts were down to a one-point home favorite when they opened it up on Sunday afternoon. Uh, and that line initially went to pick, and now the money came in on the road Texans. Uh, what's surprising is that the summer line had very little respect for what was perceived to be the difference between the Colts and the Texans who were breaking in a rookie quarterback and a rookie head coach. Now, there's a rookie head coach at Indianapolis as well. So the surprise was that the line before the season started of one, Indianapolis, was the same line that was posted. I don't know that the lines maker could have put up Houston being favored in this game I would have thought that, if anything, this game would have opened Pickham, acknowledging the fact that Houston has overachieved as much, and they were only getting one point back in August. They should be getting more, but the linesmaker couldn't make Houston a road favorite, but the public did. The total in that game uh, we mentioned over the summer was 37.5. It opened, actually, at 47 and a half this uh, this contest, and it's remained at 40. Uh, I'm sorry, it's down to 40. Uh, Uh, 47 right now, but that's a 10-point adjustment from what was put up before. We didn't know anything back in the summer, which is a significant adjustment, but I think it's based on the fact that the quarterback play uh, from uh, C.J. Stroud was considerably better than could have been expected, meaning that Houston's offense, which is expected to be absolutely horrible, turned out to be actually very good. Greg, are you surprised to see Houston favored in this football game? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, but again, it, it, it's that's the public. And um, that I'm not surprised at. So I'm not surprised that the public moved the line a little bit towards Houston. And this is, I think, a bad thing for Houston because the trends say Houston should not, if they want to win, they better not be a favorite on the road because they are 1-5-2 and two against the spread in their last eight as a road favorite. They're 0-2 straight up and against the spread as a road favorite this year. They lost to Carolina and the Jets on the road as a road favorite. One of And again, that Carolina win was Carolina's first win of the season. Uh, and the dog in this series is 2-0-1 straight up, 3-0 against the spread in the last three, including week two uh, as a one-point dog when Indianapolis upset Houston. Same situation, one point. That one was at Houston, and Indianapolis found a way to win that football game. So, uh, yeah, I think if you're a Houston fan, you might want to see this line move back to – I was going to ask, Greg, the playoff scenario, am I correct, is that the winner of this game gets a wild card and the loser of the game is out? Uh, let's see. Yeah, pretty much. The clinch, the winner clinches the, the 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 playoffs, and a matter of fact, they clinch the South with the Jacksonville loss. Yeah. So Jacksonville I'm, loses. I'm just, I'm just talking about regardless yep. of what happens elsewhere. I believe the winner would be. I think they probably would be the number uh, the number three wild card, number seven seed, and the other team has uh, no chance. Yeah, I believe the only team that has a, a a chance, and this would only happen if you get in one of those situations where it happens to be overtime, yeah. and. Everybody ties. discounts the tie stuff, as we all should, because that when it gets bananas when you start looking at ties. But if you have teams that are in that tiebreaker deal and one of these games happens to go to overtime, the first thing I do is, is you better go look and find out what happens. <laughs> because strategically, you know the coaches know that if they get to overtime, like Indianapolis, they're going to go, well, wait a second. Apparently, Braden Staley did not know in that game against the Raiders a couple of years ago where a tie got both in. There you go. Uh, and the Raiders ended up getting in and the Chargers went home. Yeah. Of course, the Chargers were saving the best for last year when they had that huge lead at Jacksonville. Yeah, exactly right. Well, that's why he's gone. 
So right, yeah. before, before we move on to the next game, uh, Greg, I just got this note from the Houston Texans front office. You were rattling off all those good underdog trends in the game, and they wanted me to tell you to remind you that Houston is 3-0 and to the spread in their last game of the season, and the Colts are 0-4 to the spread in their last game of the season. Just okay. a little note, that's all. <laughs> Unfortunately for that trend, both teams have new coaches this year. Yes, they do, and new quarterbacks, right? Yes. Okay, let's move over now. We're going to go in rotation order and take it from the top here now. And this is perhaps, it is, the biggest mover, line move of the, of the week or of, of the year, at least on what happened at the Superbook in Las Vegas, when they originally posted the Dallas Cowboys as a three-point favorite at Washington. And, Andy, we all know what happens here. Yeah, apparently uh, the Westgate left out that digit one before the three <laughs> because that's where the game opened up. Actually, Dallas opened a 13-and-a-half-point road favorite at uh, Washington this year. Uh, the line briefly went up to 13-and-a-half. It's back to 13. The opening uh, total in this game uh, was 41, and that also has been adjusted. It opened uh, this week at 48-and-a-half. It's actually been bet down as low as 44 before coming back up to 46. So still a significant adjustment from uh, the start of the year. Although, you know, I, I'm not surprised by adjustments in the totals because you really don't know how these teams are going to unfold. And you have to believe that those lines were made on what the, 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 the um, point spreads, the, the game lines, are made based upon expectations, a look at the season win totals for each team and how close they are expected to come. Uh, uh, so that 10-point move is an extraordinary move. I think Washington uh, was considered to be roughly a 500 team this year. Yes, they were. And, uh, and if you go back under Ron Rivera, that's been his history pretty much, that this team is usually, if I recall correctly, within a game each way of, of 500 during his tenure at, uh, at Washington. So clearly this is a uh, situation uh, that uh, uh, th that is a lot different than was expected. I maybe the surprise is that we all know uh, it's almost certain, uh, though not been announced, that uh, Ron Rivera will be out. And you wonder about Dallas. Yeah, they just have to do enough to win to secure the number one uh, C. Uh, well, to win the um, the the NFC East. Uh, and they might rest players knowing that they have to play. So let's say they get up 24 to 10, 24 to 7 or something like that. We've seen one thing with this Washington team that they've continued to play hard in the second half. You know, go back to a couple of those games against uh, uh, against the Eagles, for example, that you do have the possibility, especially. And my understanding is, is that uh, the players they, they they can relate to Ron Rivera as a former player himself. They may try hard to win the game, but they don't have to win this game to cover the point spread. Andy, one quick question before you move on to the next game. If Jacoby Brissett is quarterbacking for Washington instead of Sam Howell, is this game a 10-point spread as opposed to a 13-point spread? Uh, based upon the way Howell played at the uh, first half of the season, probably – uh, but uh, based upon his, his struggles down the stretch, maybe the 13 uh, is is warranted. And I think maybe what the cowboy, what the lines makers were expecting, is with that half a point below a key number of 14, that the public would bet Dallas up, and that the uh, wise guys would come in and scoop up the 14 before it goes to 14 and a half. But yeah, I think that uh, the difference in quarterbacks, although Brissett again has experience, he started a number of you know quite a number of games in the NFL. But I wouldn't be surprised again if Dallas take some players out once they get what they consider to be a comfortable lead. And that gives Washington an opportunity in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I, I'd, um, this is actually the Baltimore game and this game with the two picks that I put in our 
wise guy contest because of the trends. Obviously, I went with Baltimore and the other one. And this one also is a trend that has worked perfectly all year that you can get if uh, you were smart enough to order the uh, the magazine, the Playbook magazine. Dallas is now 24-3 and three against the spread as division favorites of more than two. They're 4-0 this year in that trend. They're going to go 5-0 and most likely. Why? The most important thing, they win. They win the East. It's a huge game. They do not want to be in a 13-point game in the fourth quarter. Anything could happen. They're going to want to blow this team out as easily and as quickly as they can. So also keep in mind that Washington is 0-4 straight up and against the spread as a home dog this year by 147 to 59. By the way, what what I would like to know with that, what how does Dallas perform on the road as a double digit road favorite? Cover being a favorite of two or three, you can win by seven and cover, but are they, you know, I'd even go back to say more than seven points on the road. That's what I would look at as far as uh, uh, Dallas, because I think you know, those are impressive numbers, 24 and three. But, uh, you know, Dallas has been such a good team over the years that they're probably much more often than not favored by two or more on the road when they're favored. OK, guys, let's uh, move on to our next football game here now. San Francisco hosting the L.A. Rams in what everybody thought it would come down to being a big crunch game. San Francisco wrapped everything up. They opened them up, the Niners, five and a half in this football game. Andy, what are we looking at this Sunday? Yeah, five and a half and 37 and a half. Uh, This game opened with the uh, 49ers, a two and a half point home favorite. Of course, both teams are in the playoffs. The 49ers as the number one seed overall. The Rams, um, as I think they're locked into the number six seed, but I know that they're in the playoffs as a, a wild card. They will be playing wild card weekend. San Francisco uh, will not be playing wild card weekend because they've got that uh, NFC bye. Uh, both quarterbacks, both starting quarterbacks will be out. Carson Wentz expected to get the start for the Rams. Sam Darnold, uh, who's uh, looked okay with a decent offense around him uh, for the uh, 49ers. Uh, That line, which opened two and a half, uh, briefly went down to one and a half, and now it's backed up to four and a half and uh, slightly back down to four. So that's a significant move. Um, The total in this game, which I mentioned was uh, 37 and a half in uh, in August, uh, is um, uh, this year 40, it's, I think it's about 42 and a half right now in that uh, uh, in that game. It may have come down a little bit. It opened uh, the other night at uh, 43 and a half. Uh, I might actually, because of the fact that you've got two backup quarterbacks who have seen limited action, I might actually look under in this game. Uh, don't expect, uh, I, I wouldn't think McCaffrey will play in this game. If he does, he might just get in there for uh, to avoid a little bit of rust. But uh, uh, I'm not sure what to do with the side in this game. I think that five and a half line over the summer was predicated on the fact that the 49ers were one of the Super Bowl favorites and that the Rams might or might not, they would be improved over last year, but they might or might not be a playoff team. I seem to recall the Rams season win total was seven and a half, which would have been an, an improvement over last year, but not good enough to make the playoffs. Now that they've made the playoffs, we've seen that we saw that line adjusted downward a little bit uh, for the for that fact that they're better than expected. San Francisco played as expected. Let me say this, Greg, before I turn it over to you. Uh, there was one facet in the football game that caught my interest. And in fact, we ended up using uh, the Rams as a best bet in the newsletter. It was largely predicated upon what I'm going to tell you until obviously the news came out that nobody's playing for the Rams, uh, which obviously you can't control. But nonetheless, when you have 
in the division game on the road and the road team has same season triple revenge exact, that's like buying an annuity, okay? And with San Francisco having had the number one seed wrapped up and really knowing that they weren't going to be playing anybody, the word had already gotten out that McCaffrey was going to sit, and if he was going to sit, so too likely would Purdy, Samuel, and everybody else. But this, the number totally got destroyed in the football game, so we're sort of left hanging with that best bet there on that uh, on that one key stat here. But anything you got on the game that you saw there, Greg? You know, actually, this is uh, there are several games this week because there are some decent games to wager on because you know that, and we talk about this all the time uh, during the season. It's hard to find games where you know for sure when teams are playing and you're not going to have their bye week or their week off, and the players just don't have it. And this is that type of week where you know there's about four or five games where you know teams are going to play their hearts out, the games are on the line, and then you have also trends and things of that nature that we've talked about. But then you've got games like this. And to me, these are the games you just draw the line through. You go, there's, why am I touching this game? When I've got five or six or seven other games of teams trying to play their hearts out, you know they're going to get the best. You know you got these great trends. I just, I just don't see any reason at all why anybody would want to play a game like this, especially when it reminds me of what's been going on in the college football bowl season. Yeah, it's going to be tough. You know, Carson Wentz uh, playing, got to knock a lot of rust off for sure in this football game. Uh, to see exactly how he performs in this contest. I mean, I might well. favor Sam Darnold. I mean, if Darnold gets a start and you've got like Mitchell in the backfield, I mean, it, 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 who has a be- who has better depth? There's no question about it. at San Francisco. Which remember, mm-hmm. the Los Angeles Rams in the offseason had an awful time trying to just replenish their roster. And look, they, the starters have done a really good job, and they haven't had a rash of injuries. But now, if they're going to play a lot of these backups, these fringe guys, I think you'd have to go and say San Francisco has the clear talent advantage in the game. Well, that's where the line does appear to be going, and there's probably a good reason why. Uh, let's move on to the next game in the schedule. It will be the Sunday night game. It was flexed to the Sunday night game, and I think they did a smart thing in doing just that. Uh, it'll be in Miami, uh, the home where Tyreek's home was just recently set ablaze and on fire. But fortunately, everybody made it out of there. He happens to be a, a, a neighbor in mine. Not in, I don't live in that mansion development that he lives in, but uh, the city next door so. I kind of related to the story a little bit. Uh, Andy, what are we looking at here in this football game? Uh, Miami in this football contest, I believe, was a pick'em. Is that correct? In the summer, the game was a pick'em with a total of 44. And, of course, this game ostensibly will decide the AFC East champion uh, and uh, likely the number two seed. And, of course, uh, uh, if it's Buffalo, they're in the playoffs. If it's Miami, uh, Buffalo needs uh, the scenarios we talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, this game, as a result, opened Buffalo a two-and-a-half-point road favorite, again, based upon the greater need and perhaps based also upon the recent momentum and maybe a little bit of an overreaction to last week's game between the Dolphins and uh, the Ravens. Unfortunately, because they didn't post the advanced lines, we don't know what the line would have been before that 56 to 19 loss at Baltimore would have made the 10 day advance line before that game was played. Now, as, as far as uh, uh, the uh, line moves, it opened two and a half. It's been bet up to Buffalo three, although there have been times throughout this week where it's gone up to three and a half and stayed there for a little bit and been bought down to uh, the uh, field goal. Uh, the total, uh, which I mentioned earlier in the year was uh, over the summer was 44. That total reopened at 48 and a half. And that actually got bet up to 50 down now to 49 and a half. So they are expecting a high scoring game. 
I'm not quite sure about that because of what's at stake for both teams. I don't think either team, I, I think either both teams would want to shorten the number of possessions uh, and not let the game get out of hand. And we might see more running than passing in this game, except for situations that call for obvious passes. So much like the San Francisco game, my first look here would be under the total, but uh, actually in the San Francisco game, it's under, I actually like Miami in this spot at three or higher. Um, you know, Dallas is the only team in the NFL this year that uh, was unbeaten at home. They were eight. No Miami, should be unbeaten at home, but for the last three minutes of that game against Tennessee a few Monday nights ago when they had a 27-13 lead uh, late in the fourth quarter and the Titans scored two touchdowns to uh, uh, to pull out the win and deny Miami an unbeaten season and also give Buffalo more life for winning the division because that loss was costly uh, for the Dolphins in that respect. Uh, the other thing about this, Buffalo won the earlier game this year, which is why uh, that they have the need here to even things up and, uh, and, and get the win uh, that would give them the division. And also, Coming off of that route last week at Baltimore, I think that uh, you know I, I, the Dolphins, I think, would like to end that sort of stench. So in addition to being so important for them winning division and potentially, although we probably know the situation more, potentially knocking out Buffalo from the playoffs as virtually everybody considers the Bills, much like the Chiefs, despite their season records, to have been you know, still a very dangerous playoff opponent that no one would have to uh, uh, face. Uh, I think that you'd want to see, uh, the Dolphins would want to see uh, a little bit of momentum going into next week's game. So it might almost be like the Dallas game, well, for either of these two teams, because it's for the division. If you get a comfortable lead, starters uh, may be rested. I like the Dolphins in this game. And as much as I've liked Buffalo throughout the season, I'll probably put a little bit on uh, Miami on the money line on this game. I'm with you on this game as well, Andy. I think uh, it's a key game for Mike McDaniel's psyche, his team, and everything else coming off the ugly performance that they're coming off of. And it also, they don't want to uh, bookend the season in the opposite direction that they started. You know, when they routed uh, Denver and put up the 600 yards and 70 points in the football game, they certainly don't want to close it out on this dismal note here. Greg, did you see anything? that was noteworthy in the magazine that alludes to this football game. Yeah, I'm surprised. I didn't realize Buffalo was beating Miami 10 out of 11. Uh, that surprised me. And um, obviously they blew them out earlier this year. Uh, so that bodes well for Buffalo. Uh, and obviously they've got their number, even though Miami did win last year, um, which is important, uh, new coaching staff and all. Um, but this is the thing that we've been talking about for the last month with Miami. They're one in four straight up and against the spread versus winning teams. The only team they won was the only team they beat at Mark was Dallas. And what is Dallas? Dallas has an 0 and four straight up and against the spread record on the road versus winning teams. So Miami, something I had to give. Yeah. And, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago and last week was another example they just didn't lose to Baltimore. Remember, everybody was talking about, and we talked about it on the show last week, Baltimore, big matchup, San Francisco, all the emotion. It was impossible that they could come up with the same emotion against the Dolphins the next week. Then they had to travel, short week, come all the way back home. What happens? They annihilated the Dolphins. So there's got to be psyche going on in that Miami Dolphins. It's confidence, and we know this. If you just can't beat good football teams, it's a confidence uh, deal. And now you're playing a team that you've only beaten once in the last 11 times you played them. 
So uh, that that I, I just can't see as a handicapper how you would take Miami under those circumstances. I'm not saying that they're not going to win the game. I just don't know how you could do that. I'll, I'll give you one thing. You talked about confidence. Buffalo, I think most people would agree, is not as good as the Buffalo team of the last few years. Okay. Miami arguably is better than they were last year or certainly as good as they were last year. They nearly knocked Buffalo out of the playoffs in that wild card game up in Buffalo sure. uh, early back in this year. So they at least have some sort of confidence that they can go up and compete with a Buffalo team and a Buffalo team that's not as good as they were last year. And who knows, maybe they maybe they were caught looking ahead a little bit because Baltimore knew that if they won this one last week's game against Miami, they were the number one seed, which is what happened. On the other hand, they also knew that if they lost to Miami, Miami would be the number one seed if yeah. they want, if they beat Buffalo this week. And getting that week off, I, I you know, uh, in my newsletter last week, I did a little article on how important having that bye week is uh, in the wild card round. Now, we went in 2021 when they changed the playoff format down from uh, uh, two, uh, the number one and two seeds in each conference having a bye to the number one seed. I believe now, going back to 1990, when they had what was the 12-team format instead of the 14 that they changed three years ago, a number one seed had made uh, a number one or number two seed, the two seeds with the bye weeks, had made every Super Bowl between 1990 and 1991. I believe since then, uh, or I, I think since then, one of those three years, there were two number four seeds that uh, that made the playoffs for the first time. That a team with a, a team that did not have a bye did not. I'm sorry, that a team that had the wild card bye did not make it to the Super Bowl. So that's a long history of showing just how important that bye week is. And I'm wondering if uh, uh, if that that might have impacted impacted Baltimore's. Uh, intensity that they showed uh, last season in a, in a game last week against Miami uh, that was uh, over fairly early. But but it, but I think it shows something, a, a black mark against Miami, though, because, again, uh, Baltimore was able to do it back-to-back -back weeks, and Miami just couldn't do it the one week when they really needed to do it. Um, but on the flip side, Mark, the thing with Buffalo, and we saw it last week, I mean, we saw it the, week, the last couple of weeks with the Chargers and the Patriots, is that Every time you kind of think that Buffalo is going well and they're the big dogs and they're the team to beat, that's when they let you down. That's when they're a problem. That's why I actually think that Buffalo is better off as a wild card team as opposed to being the number two seed in the AFC. Well, they could be much, very dangerous as a wild card team. They'd be the kind of a wild card team, Greg, that nobody would want to play for sure. Uh, and one of the reasons, and we alluded to this in our newsletter this week, is uh, – their up and down is a little bit of a bipolar type thing that goes on with Josh Allen. And uh, I was surprised when I came across this stat. I put it in the newsletter that if you go back to week 10 in the National Football League, only one quarterback in the league has a worse pass completion percentage than does Josh Allen. And uh, that's <laughs> that's not good news. Uh, no, I'll tell I'll tell I don't know who it is, but my guess would be because of the problem with the receivers, Patrick Mahomes. No, it's not Patrick Mahomes. No, no. It's uh, the quarterback is uh, Carolina Panthers' own number one pick of the whole draft, okay? Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Yes, who has struggled all football season long. Well, they're uh, saying that he's got a show, you know, and it, but it, every time they go through a rough stretch, Josh Allen, they bring up his shoulder again. Remember early <laughs> in the season when he was off yep. to a slow start, the jet game, 
oh, he's not the same guy without so-and-so, I mean, you know, without Dayball, and he's also got this shoulder thing. Then all of a sudden he goes on this run, and everybody just shuts up. Nobody says anything. Now it's out again. He's had a couple of bad starts, especially last week. It's Bill Belichick. It's the Patriots. Of course he's going to have a bad start against New England and the Jets and those types of teams because they know him. And so it, it, it's just so interesting, but I do agree, which, it, which you brought up, Andy, about his, his receivers, because that's the thing that I think is still going to be the downfall is for a team that passes as much as they do, they do not have enough wide receiver talent. They've got one guy and that's it. Davis, okay, every once in a while, he'll come up with a play here and there. Shakir, the young kid, okay, every once in a while. But other than that, they don't have any consistency other than Diggs, and I think that's a big problem. Well, that probably that probably uh, alludes to his erratic pass percentage completion. Yes, I think so. Yeah, it's only fifty-seven percent since week yeah. number ten. In, in his career at Wyoming, he only completed fifty-six percent of his career passes yes. at Wyoming. True. So that was the knock on him for accuracy. Yes, right. that was the knock on him, which is the reason he did slip. Everybody saw the talent, but they were like, "Well." 99% of the time when you're in college and you don't have a completion percentage at a certain level, you're not going to improve it in the NFL. It doesn't happen that way. He was the outlier. He was the one guy that actually improved his completion percentage immensely from college to the NFL. But now all of a sudden he's reverting back. With that big, strong arm and some coaching, uh, you know, it went a long, long way toward him becoming a Pro Bowl quarterback. Let's move on, guys, uh, to the next game on the card here. And this is going to sort of overlap with what is usually our roundtable talk. We'll get into a little bit of a roundtable after this, but we don't want to we don't want to go on too long because this has become a lot meatier and deeper than we anticipated. But I'm loving it nonetheless. Next game on the football card, the Atlanta Falcons at New Orleans. Big football game, Andy, for both teams. They both need a win. It opened up in Vegas, New Orleans, two and a half. And what do we see this Sunday? Okay, the uh, over summer line was two and a half, 38 and a half, favoring the Saints. And uh, interestingly enough, the Saints opened as five-point home favorites in this game last Sunday night. But the movement has been down to the point where it's gone from five down to the Saints being a three-point home favorite, which seems to be a fair number, basically saying to a certain extent uh, it's a it's an even game on a neutral field. Although you could also argue that maybe Atlanta's the better team because home field is not worth the three points it historically has been. It's down to probably close to maybe a little bit under two points based upon the results of the last several seasons. Nonetheless, the uh, uh, total, which was... Um, uh, over the summer, uh, 38 and a half. That total this week opened at 41 and a half, and uh, it actually has gone up. It went up to 42 and a half, down to 42. So uh, they're expecting a little bit of a high-scoring game. And again, you know, weather's a factor at this time of the year. This is one of those indoor games. So it actually it wouldn't matter where they played Atlanta and New Orleans. It was going to be an indoor game. So we might see some scoring, uh, especially here, because I think uh, uh, the offenses, certainly the offensive talent may be better than the defense, than the way the defenses are played. Although Atlanta, I think, has played better than expected on defense. New Orleans, not quite as well as was expected. Philadelphia Eagles opened up two and a half at the New York Giants, a matchup of two disappointing teams. The Giants deeply disappointed a playoff team last year. Philadelphia on the way out right now. They're playing as horribly as they possibly can. Andy, what are we looking at for the matchup this weekend? Yeah, Eagles were two and a half points, summer favorites with a total of 42 and a half. And despite the woes that they've shown lately, uh, that game actually opened with the Eagles a six point 
road favorite. Of course, these teams just met uh, two weeks ago. Score was a little bit closer than uh, the game was played as Philadelphia once again uh, let the Giants come back and get in position to uh, perhaps even pull the upset there. They won by eight after having a bigger lead. Uh, the line actually has come down towards the Giants, down from six to five. And again, all these games in week 16 are divisional games, meaning they're to a certain extent rivalry games. Certainly uh, New York and uh, uh, the Giants and the Eagles are, are bitter rivals uh, going back uh, well, basically the foundation of the founding of the NFL. Uh, the total in the game, which over the summer uh, had been, um, uh, let me get it over here. The total in over the summer had uh, 42 and a half, as I did mention earlier. That opened at 45 and a half, and that has also seen uh, a decent movement. That's down to 42 right now. Not quite sure what the weather will be over the weekend, although there has been talk earlier in the week that there could be some severe snow on along the east coast that would affect philadelphia and in this case especially new york yeah that's what i'm hearing a uh, big snow uh, especially at the new england side of the football game but we'll get to that in just a, a moment here or so cleveland cincinnati at cincinnati preseason line was the bengals three and that was all in anticipation of joe burrow against uh deshaun watson they'll be watching the game along with us obviously backup quarterbacks and in fact the fifth Different starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns this week, a player they signed a week ago, Jeff Driscoll. How did they move yeah, this line, Andy? Uh, well, this game opened uh, with the uh, uh, Cincinnati Bengals two-point home favorites. Uh, and, of course, they've already been eliminated from the playoffs. No Joe Burrow. Browning uh, expected, I imagine, still to play as he's probably playing for a contract somewhere uh, unless he's happy backing up uh, uh, Burrow next year. Uh, that opened uh, with the Bengals a two-point home favorite, which, as you mentioned, they were a three-point home favorite over the summer. And the action in that game has seen that line uh, go up considerably to the Bengals. Uh, the, the first move actually was down from two to one and a half, but since then it was an all-Cincinnati money where the Bengals are up to a seven-point home favorite. The total over the summer, which was 42, opened before the uh, uh, the Cleveland news was, uh, was made uh, public. Uh, and perhaps it may have even been when there was Joe Flacco was expected to start because that total opened a surprisingly high 43 and a half. That's down to 37 and a half right now. And, um, boy, you know, I'm looking for a low scoring game, uh, essentially. Uh, but I might take a look at the Browns in this one, even though, uh, they're in the playoffs, you know, how good is the Cincinnati offense going to be? Yeah, maybe they have to rely on Driscoll making some mistakes, but Cleveland can still run the football and certainly play defense. So that seems to be a big number. You know, if Cincinnati has something to play for, probably wouldn't mind laying the seven in the spot. Uh, certainly if they had even Flacco, uh, even if uh, even with Browning at quarterback. But uh, if I'm going to play this game, I have to look at the underdog. I agree with you, Andy. I think it's just too many points in a rivalry situation also. Uh, next game, Green Bay Packers were two and a half over the Chicago Bears before the season started. How do we see it this week? Uh, the uh, Green Bay Packers playing uh, with need to win and get a little help for the playoffs. The Bears eliminated, but playing as well as any team. You know, maybe they're playing almost as well as Buffalo is down the stretch. We talked about the Bears and their potential uh, for next season. Uh, the total over the summer uh, did have the uh, uh, the Bears-Packers game listed at 42. It opened at 43 and a half, so not a significant adjustment. Uh, however, the total in that game... Uh, uh, has gone up to uh, 45, and the uh, Packers uh, have been bet. They were up as high as three and a half. It settled back into uh, into three. If you like the way the Bears have played and you don't want to interrupt their momentum, maybe if you can find that three and a half, you'd be looking at that. On the other hand, 
the Packers have played more good than bad over the last few weeks. Jordan Love seems to have uh, really uh, continued his development, has taken a leadership role on the team. Maybe you look for the back for the Packers to play and take their chances with what happens elsewhere. Uh, I think there's some value to the Chicago Bears there myself personally, uh, but nonetheless, uh, we find Arizona hosting Seattle before the season kicked off. It was Seattle four. Are we pretty much closest that way this Sunday, Andy? Uh, Seattle opened a three and a half point road favorite. Uh, it actually briefly went below three to two and a half. It's back up now to three, and I wouldn't be surprised uh, if we see it settle in at three. Uh, looking at uh, uh, the total over the summer, we saw. Uh, that one opened at 37 and a half. Uh, that's been another major adjustment to 47 and a half. I think largely with the uh, play of Kyler Murray, uh, who did not start the season as quarterback due to uh, injuries. Uh, that total opened and remains. In fact, uh, uh, that's uh, exactly where it was. 47 and a half. Did not see any movement up or down uh, in that total this week. One of those strange games where there isn't any movement in a week when there's a ton of movement elsewhere. We talked earlier, the pitch, uh, we talked about, oh, it was, it's on Saturday, so we'll skip to the next game. It's New England hosting the New York Jets. Vegas had it. Jets won before the season began. What are we looking at on Sunday, Andy? Yeah, which can, considering the history of this series uh, and Bill Belichick's history and, and dislike for the Jets, I was surprised that the Jets opened this one-point favorite, other than the fact that it was expected that Aaron Rodgers would be quarterbacking uh, for the Jets in this game. As it turns out, the Patriots opened a one-and-a-half-point favorite this past Sunday. It was bet up to two-and-a-half. It's come back down to one-and-a-half, and I'm guessing the reason for that might be the impending snow. Uh, the total in the game, which uh, over the uh, – uh, season was 30 uh, before the season 39 and a half this opened at 34 and a half and not only had we had all that poor offense production from both teams this year we now have the threat of that snow that we talked about the total opened at 34 and a half as i mentioned it's down to 30 and a half and probably headed lower as uh uh, if it, indeed we get those uh, weather conditions, we'll see what the wind would be accompanying that snow. Uh, it may be difficult for uh, both teams to score. Of course, uh, uh, the Jets have been in many low-scoring games this year, and the uh, Patriots uh, managed to be in a 6 nothing game on this field a few weeks ago against the Chargers. Yeah, that snow I think will be a big factor. You mentioned uh, that the game's moved three points already that way, and uh, we just have to keep an eye on what the weatherman says for the football game. Denver Broncos at the L Las Vegas Raiders in your hometown, Andy. Vegas thought it would be pick. What are we looking at now? Well, this is an interesting game. In fact, this is the one game where neither the side nor the total is op has moved since it opened. You mentioned that the uh, uh, the over-the-summer line uh, did have the, uh, the the Broncos and the Raiders are picking with a total of 42. Uh, this game, which opened and has not moved, has the uh, Raiders as three-point home favorites, a total of 38. Some interesting aspects surrounding this game. The Raiders have owned the Broncos, as Mark, you probably have some information on that goes. They've owned uh, the Broncos uh, in good and bad seasons over the last uh, uh, three or four seasons. Uh, for the Raiders, of course, they have not. I'd, you know, I like the job Antonio Pierce has done, and I would I would like to take away any sort of hesitation and uncertainty after the season. 
I think the Raiders should just go ahead before the start of this game and name Antonio Pierce the head coach of the Raiders. The players have certainly responded uh, to him since he took over for Josh McDaniels, even though there was little chance of the Raiders making the playoffs, which uh, was ex was uh, extinguished last week. But they played extremely well, won some games, were competitive others. They had that big win against Kansas City in Kansas City a couple of weeks ago. I'd like to see him as the, as the, uh, as the permanent head coach. Uh, so I don't know if the Raiders will do that. Uh, I don't know why they would take my advice. They haven't seemed to take anybody's advice. We had saw the same thing with Pachacha, the special teams coach now with Green Bay. He did a great job for the Raiders, and they never really considered him for a job, and they played real hard for him after uh, John Gruden was uh, was dismissed with the, with his situation. By the uh, way, the Broncos, Andy, what did you think, yeah. or what did you guys think about uh, his uh, coaching uh, against the Colts? Because, and I watched most of the game. <clears throat> I thought he got he was very very conservative. And uh, I thought that was I thought that was his worst coaching performance overall. I just I just don't like the way he coached that game. Yeah, I think it was a question of uh, maybe being a little bit too leery of uh, of the quarterback who had that uh, horrible second half against Kansas City a week before. But the Raiders, of course, were playing with the lead. They had those two defensive touchdowns. Uh, maybe he thought he was waiting for Minshew, who had been known to make mistakes, to make mistakes, and they could capitalize on that. So maybe he overreacted a little bit to the performance of a uh, uh, of a week earlier, uh, and yet but don't you uh, think, Andy? Don't you think this is the problem where owners and GMs? This is the reason why it's hard for them to pull the trigger with defensive coaches, because this is oh, is this is what I'm going to be dealing with a conservative defensive coach? Is this what I want? And that 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 is going to definitely because it always does. It goes into the thinking of of why offensive coaches usually get the gigs more. Well, also keep in mind that when they made the coaching change, they also made a change in offensive coordinator for someone who wasn't familiar uh, sure. with the position. So maybe that'll be in their thinking what you suggest. Maybe another potential will be is that, you know, hey, we're going to hire Antonio Pierce, but we're also going to have a significant say in who his offensive coordinator uh, will be. So that might be all part of it uh, for the Broncos. Uh, Stidham uh, maybe the heir apparent. We don't know. Uh, is uh, Russell Wilson apparently uh, is going to be officially out uh, sometime after the season ends. Uh, and so maybe this, maybe the Broncos will look at this as an audition for Stidham as to whether or not uh, he will be considered or whether the Broncos may be looking elsewhere. Uh, so maybe the Broncos, uh, both teams have, I think, uh, incentive to win this one. I'd like to take the Broncos. I'm concerned a little bit about the Raiders' extensive history against uh, Denver, which makes me a little bit reluctant. Maybe at three and a half points, I would consider the Broncos. But, uh, you know, the earlier line this week, we saw uh, the uh, at, at one place. I mentioned that the line has opened and, and stayed at three. There were some other at the Westgate didn't move. Other properties did have the Raiders as two and a half point home favorites. That almost begs a little bit too easy for betting the Raiders who have that history against the uh, Broncos to lay the two and a half. So maybe Denver might be the right side. Let me ask you this question, Andy. Shake the cobwebs a little bit here. Sean Payton, uh, Drew Brees was his uh, ticket to the Hall of Fame. What will, what will be for Sean Payton? Do you recall how it is he went about and acquired Drew Brees? Because there may be his thinking that he needs a quarterback in Denver and we need to make some kind of a similar move. Do you recall? How I'm it was trying there? to remember because wasn't Miami involved yeah, in that? At traded some point with the Dolphins. Well. Dolphins uh, drafted him in the second round. Right. Drew Brees. Okay. Yep. Drew Brees. And they traded him to the saints. And that's why dolphin fans always remember that. Yeah. Like, Oh, we traded Drew Brees away and we had him. Uh, here's well, I, I remember 
I remember the Philip Rivers, Eli Manning situation with the Raiders, with the Giants and Chargers. Yeah, I couldn't well, at least remember both the other half of the. Uh, at least both uh, of them had good careers, career. so that worked out. But how about this? Because we just talked about it. He could sit right where he is, and he could just maybe I get Bo Nix, maybe I get Michael Penix, because again, those quarterbacks are supposed to go late first round, and he's right now got the 14th pick in the draft. So which one of those quarterbacks do you think might actually fit Sean Payton better, Knicks or Penix? I think he'd be comfortable with either. I would say either. I don't think he would complain with either. I think if he had a choice, maybe Knicks, uh, maybe a little bit more Bo, uh, Drew Brees-like, but uh, I, he wouldn't complain, certainly not at all. So I kind of see that happening with the Denver Broncos, some sort of a move to improve that quarterback situation, obviously with Russell Wilson being out of the picture here. Moving on, uh, the Minnesota Vikings taking on Detroit. Did, in did the we do Jacksonville, Tennessee yet? Uh, did I did I hop past them? Yes, I did. I, I'm sorry. I think, yeah, I think we went from New England to uh, the yeah. Raiders. So it, it was Jacksonville one and a half in the in, in the before the season began at Tennessee, Andy, and I think the summer has moved up quite a bit since we, since that opening number. Yeah, Jacksonville one and a half and forty over the summer. The line in total opened Jacksonville three and a half, thirty nine and a half. However, that line had gotten as high as five and a half this week on Jacksonville. It settled back down to three and a half. Uh, the total, which I mentioned over thirty nine and uh, over the summer, uh, was the. Uh, uh, 40. That uh, total actually opened at 39 and a half. It is up to 40. I know a lot of people are excited about Tennessee this week, maybe because of the quarterback situation with Tennessee, although uh, with uh, Jacksonville, rather with Lawrence, but also Tennessee has its own uh, quarterback issues with Tannehill and uh, uh, Will uh, Levis, uh, Will Levis for the uh, Titans. Uh, but a lot of people have mentioned, and I know, Mark, you have numbers on uh, about uh, Vrabel as a, as a home underdog with the Titans. This Tennessee team has not been the same since the middle of last year when they were not only in position to make the playoffs and win the division. I think they were at one point in contention for the overall number one seed in the AFC. They lost seven games in a row to uh, end the season, and they never seem to have really recovered from that uh, uh, this year, despite the presence of uh, uh, Derrick Henry in the backfield, which forms a, a solid running game, putting less pressure on the quarterback. I'm not so sure I feel all that comfortable uh, taking Tennessee uh, uh, this this in this spot, even though normally it would call for a play on a home underdog. Um, and I, I guess, I don't know if I would have played it, but I think people who took the five and a half when Jacksonville went that high might have had the right idea. At three, three and a half, I'm not all that interested. Well, I think a person has to obviously wait for the word on uh, whatever happens with uh, Lawrence uh, in the football game. It's a huge, huge factor here. Uh, but my thinking here also, Andy, on the other side of the coin is that uh, Mike Vrabel would like nothing better than to deter Jacksonville from the playoffs and do it at home on his home field in the role of an underdog. And the nice, neat, little, incredible stat that we had in the Playbook Football Newsletter sort of comes to the, his aid in the fact that in their franchise history, in their final road game of the season, Jacksonville is just 2-17 and 17 straight up. So they'll need to improve on that immensely here, obviously. And uh, But Tennessee, I agree with you, is going to have to have some better quarterbacking. The, the, the only thing I will point out about the 2-17 and 17 record is that for most of those years, Jacksonville – was like a 3-13 and 13 team. So they were losing just about everywhere. Now, they did perform better uh, last year when they made that late-season run to the playoffs, and they did have that one 
uh, stretch, what, about seven or eight, uh, six or seven years ago when they made the playoffs. But that one of the things I like to do, like we talked about with the Baltimore-Pittsburgh series history, meaning something because of the continuity of the coaching staff, I also like to take a look at uh, situations that occur where a team may be extremely good or extremely poor in a situation over an extended period of years, but they've been poor. It's like the old situation. Well, Tampa Bay was horrible when the temperature was below freezing when they went up to Green Bay every year. Right. Well, they were horrible everywhere in those years before they became a legitimate <laughs> football team under you know John Gruden and, and uh, uh, Tony Dungy, etc. So that's a little bit of not quite a counterpoint because, uh, uh, again, I can make a case for taking the points against Jacksonville uh, this year because they've not had the same run that they had last year, but it is something that I do like to look out, uh, look for before instinctively moving to one side that appears to have a lot of the favorable situa- situations in, in going for them. I, I think one of my points of contention here also, Andy, is the fact that I think Jacksonville has become vastly overrated this football season here. They're not in good shape right now. They're playing horribly over the course of their last half dozen games. And if you look at the, you look at their point differential on the season, they're only plus 14 on the season here. That was after they got off to a really strong start. So obviously there's not something right with Jacksonville here as we're speaking here as well. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not Mike Vrabel can make that statement. Yeah, by, by the way, to that point, if you let's go, I'll, let, I still talked about home field advantage two points. Let's say it's let's say it's two points. If Jacksonville is a three and a half point road favorite, they'd be a seven and a half point home favorite against the Titans, or a nine and a half point favorite if you use the old standard three. That number would certainly seem too high, and even on the road, I would be more tempted to take Tennessee in that situation. So that's a a very good point that uh, Jacksonville may not be as good as a lot of people have shown, and we don't want to read too much into last week's win. Good point. Okay, next game on the schedule, uh, we got to go to Detroit. Did we, did we talk about the Lions and the Vikings? Or we uh, were going, I don't believe so. No, we were going there, but we hopped back. So it's yeah. Detroit at home where they opened up two and a half in this football game before the season began. And what is it we're looking at now, Andy? Okay, uh, the game before the season had, Viking, had excuse me, Lions two and a half, total 44 and a half and keep in mind Minnesota was coming off a playoff season in which they were 11 and 0 in one score games and the Lions were the hottest team in the NFL pretty much down the stretch last year so there was a lot of reasons to be somewhat optimistic on the Lions and pessimistic about the uh, Vikings nonetheless with Detroit already having clinched the division Minnesota still having an opportunity for a wild card the Lions opened up as three and a half point home favorites this week uh, they uh, were bet up as high as six and a half I think that was due to the uncertainty of who would be starting at quarterback for the Vikings. They've announced that Mullins is going to get the start. That happened to be received favorably by uh, uh, the betting public, and they bet uh, the Lions down as low as three points. The Lions now three-and-a-half-point favorites, and the total uh, in this game, uh, which had been 44-and-a-half over the summer, opened Sunday night 43-and-a-half, and that total uh, has uh, gone up as high as 46-and-a-half, down to 46 uh, as we speak Thursday afternoon. Greg, do you think this line looks suspiciously low for Detroit in this football game, uh, given the fact that they may be playing with this big chip on their shoulder when they were they felt that they were a zebra in Dallas? I think that there's uh, some suspicion about just how long will he play his important players when the game doesn't mean anything. Um, I mean, yeah, they can clinch a number two seed, and that's important, but it's not a big deal. They're not going to drop that far if they don't. And uh, you take a look also at the fact that Minnesota is still trying to get into the postseason. You know, this does mean a lot for Minnesota. So 
I definitely see where you're coming from. I mean, I take Detroit in the game. I like the line the way it is because knowing Dan Campbell, I do believe he's going to play, uh, you know, a significant amount of his uh, quality players for as long as possible. Um, but I think that's probably what what uh, what Vegas is thinking is that, uh, well, how do they know? By halftime, he's going to take out most of his uh, key players. That's a good point. I did, by, uh, by the way, we didn't mention it, but I may as well mention it now. Because of the situation that a lot of teams uh, may not know who's going to play, you want to pay special attention when the list of inactive players comes out 90 minutes before kickoff on these games because uh, there's a lot of uncertainty with, you know, for example, McCaffrey for San Francisco, uh, other players as far as uh, uh, situations with the, let's say, uh, who's going to be at the uh, quarterback for, let's say, Tennessee in their game against Jacksonville. That may, that'll probably affect the line, which means you may not get the best number if you're playing on one of those teams that has an adverse inactive uh, situation, but you certainly want to be aware of those when those come out Sunday morning. I know that ESPN and NFL Network uh, will put them out uh, for the early set of games on Sunday, that uh, 8.30 Pacific time for the 10.30 a.m. starts. Another football game where it will not involve two teams that are fighting for playoff spots, Tampa Bay at Carolina. The Bucks obviously are. The Panthers aren't. This is one of the bigger moves here, Andy. They opened up Carolina 3 in Vegas before the season began. And what are we looking at with Tampa Bay? Uh, Tampa Bay opened as a five-and-a-half-point uh, road favorite. Uh, they uh, have been bet down to four-and-a-half. Um, I don't know. Maybe Carolina signed uh, Joe Montana at his age to be quarterback this week. <laughs> I don't understand it. Uh, although Tampa Bay's coming off of that horrible loss uh, uh, last week when they could have wrapped up the division title, they can still do that uh, with a win this week. Um, looking at, uh, again, the uh, over the, uh, the, the summer, uh, the uh, Panthers opened three total 36 and a half. That total opened at 37 and a half and uh, the uh, line has not moved as far as that total goes. So still 37 and a half with the uh, Panthers playing and the Bucks uh, uh, long since eliminated. And the final game on the card this week, Kansas city travels to Los, Los Angeles to take on the chargers. Jay Cornegay and the crew at the Superbook had Kansas city as a one and a half point favorite. A lot has happened obviously between now and then. No coach there for Los, uh, Los Angeles, no quarterback for Los Angeles. But Kansas City is rumored to be setting a lot of people down in this game. What are we going to see for a line in this football game, Andy? Uh, the summer line, as you mentioned, did have the Chiefs one and a half, total of 45 and a half. And of course, the Chargers have had a miserable season, and Kansas City has not played up to expectations. Uh, and because of the fact uh, that they were uh, already uh, locked into uh, the AFC West division title as the winner, they opened as a one point uh, road favorite at the total 38 and a half. I have to believe that that one-point road favorite may have been with the expectation that Mahomes would not start, other players would not start, and, of course, Mahomes uh, will not uh, start in that game this week. And as a result, we saw uh, the line move uh, fairly quickly down to pick them, and then all money came in on the Chargers. They are now three-and-a-half-point favorites. The total, uh, which uh, over the summer was 45-and-a-half in this game, opened at 38-and-a-half. Uh, has been further bet down to 35. So right now the line is Chargers three and a half, the Chiefs uh, at a total 35. I'm still inclined to play uh, the Chiefs for a couple of reasons. Again, their defense much improved over last year. The Chargers waiting to see who's going to be uh, their new coach after the season. Uh, uh, remind me who the, uh, I, I just slipped my mind who the, who's going to be starting for uh, Mahomes, the backup there. 
Blake Gabbard. Blake, Blake Gabbard, Gabbard, right. Yeah. I think who had, I think, five passes this year, two of which were intercepted right. uh, in, in coming in relief for uh, uh, Mahomes. But nonetheless, I expect the Chiefs to run the ball a lot, to shorten the game. Not sure I want to play under 35, but I would still prefer to be on the Chiefs because I'm sure they still want to look as sharp as possible. Again, they don't have the bye this year, so they're going to have to play next week. They, mess, they may rest players but I'm not sure what kind of effort we get out of uh, the Chargers this week. So if I play the game, I'd have to play the Chiefs. And uh, certainly at three and a half, uh, that's an attractive number to play for a game which figures to be scoring uh, basically because of the overall caliber of Gabbert and uh, the cal- uh, caliber of uh, uh, Easton Stick, the, uh, uh, the, the Chargers quarterback. Greg, anything out of the magazine trend-wise in this football game? Not in this game, especially it's one of those uh, dud games. Um, but since it is the last game, um, if you want, I, I could go over sure. a few trends from the other games uh, sure. that we, I didn't uh, have a chance to bring up. And, and also just update the playoff picture, too, because, again, as everybody should know by now, again, if Tampa Bay wins, they win the South. Um, and, uh, and that's the only thing significant about that one. But you also, of course, have to look at the Atlanta-New Orleans game. And in that one um, – New Orleans or Atlanta, of course, they need help. They need to win the game and have Tampa Bay lose. All right. Other than that, though, Atlanta lose, they're done. Okay. There's no chance they can get in. But New Orleans, if they win and beat Atlanta and Tampa Bay wins, and by the way, same thing goes for if Atlanta wins. Even if they win and Tampa Bay wins, Atlanta's out. But if New Orleans wins and Tampa Bay wins, well, they can still, the Saints, clinch a playoff spot if the Seattle Seahawks and the Green Bay Packers lose. So Seattle still has a shot as a wild card. If uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks win and they win, they need Seattle and Green Bay to lose. Now, this is one of those trends I keep picking uh, back up here every few uh, weeks or so, and that's Dennis Allen. Let's remember now, he's 2-15 and 15 against the spread off a straight-up ATS win. 1-2 and two this year, which is good. Some progress. It's 50%, or actually, you know, 50% in a, in a negative way, but still, it's a lot better than uh, whatever, 90% in a negative way, which he was before. So, again, 2-15 and 15 after his team wins both straight up and against the spread uh, overall in his career. Uh, moving on over to— Oh, the- oh excuse me. One, one thing, by sure. the way, I just want to mention— Green Bay has a number of scenarios to get in as a wild card. The easiest thing to do is win, and they have no and they, and they need no other help. There are other four or five scenarios that involve uh, either a Green Bay tie or a couple of other scenarios where it doesn't matter what Green Bay does, but it depends upon uh, Minnesota, uh, Seattle, and then in each of those two situations, Tampa Bay or New Orleans. Exactly, just those teams: Minnesota, Seattle. Both of them would have to lose. And Tampa Bay or New Orleans would have Correct. to lose. If that happens, Green Bay can get in with a loss, but that's asking for a lot. So that's why uh, that game is one of those games where you got to see. Well, Green Bay pretty much knows they better win. And by the way, they beat Chicago nine straight, both straight up and against the spread, including week one. Don't forget, they were a two point dog in that game. Week one at Chicago, they won 38 to 20. And in that, that division, was back when Aaron Rodgers owned Chicago. <laughs> yeah, and he was about 24 hours away from breaking his Achilles with the Jets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is interesting, by the way, because the line which I mentioned opened two and a half, went to three and a half, and settled to three. As well as Chicago is playing, consider Green Bay's domination, which again was proven with Jordan Love in his first game as a starter, why that line has not moved up more towards uh, the Packers. I wouldn't be surprised to see the money come in on the Packers. That's not to say that 
Chicago wouldn't be a good play because it certainly would if you get plus four or even on the money line there. Uh, and in fact, if that line moves up uh, and you do like Chicago, you may want to play the Bears on the money line. Uh, Jim Price will be doing that, I know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And by the way, we, Mark, we talked about this. Uh, we talked about earlier in the show with Washington, Oregon line. And we said we, we just brought this game up with Green Bay winning nine. Actually, they came into the series eight. No, straight up and against the spread. I can imagine. OK, yeah, but no Aaron Rodgers. So it's a new thing. But still, it is it is still a, a significant streak. And that is that if there's any trend that we have talked about this year, whether this show or the shows we've done on our lads, that has been just almost perfect is that any time you have a situation where you have two teams and they have a rivalry where they play just about every year, one team dominates the other, beats them most of the time straight up and against the spread, and the odds makers favor the other team, the team that dominates the series has usually like 90% of the time this year when we've talked about it won. Just like the and Washington I, And I situation. believe an opening week, the Bears were – a one-point favorite yes. over the Packers yes. at home, and largely, again, because of the fact we didn't know what to expect with uh, at, with uh, Jordan Love at quarterback for the Packers. And, in fact, if you go back before the season, there was a lot of uh, early movement under the total for the Packers based upon the loss of, of a future Hall of Famer yeah, in Aaron Rodgers sure. and the unknown of Love. Uh, I actually happen to be someone who thought the Packers would not suffer as much as a lot of people think because I felt, A, Love is a good quarterback and he showed development over the course of the season. But it's interesting that you uh, that you do bring up that point. So, uh, unfortunately, that situation does not apply this <laughs> week because the Packers, the dominating team, are fa- is favored. That's right. Uh, I, Correct. I would have felt a lot more comfortable if we were going to play the Bears uh, if the if this game were at Chicago instead of at, and they would uh, be favored, yeah, yeah, they probably would be a little yeah. well a, point yeah, maybe hard, you think? hard to hard to say because uh, all things being equal, the need would still be with Green right. Bay. Yeah, you know, to that point, guys, uh, you mentioned that uh, there's an acronym that we use in the Playbook newsletter, and it came from uh, uh, Joe Gavazzi when he partnered with me in the Playbook newsletter, football newsletter when it, when it kicked off originally. And they used an acronym called DIA, DIA, D-I-A, D-I-A. And basically what it means is dominating dogs in action, doing it again. And that Ooh. is basically when a team who has dominated an opponent before in the past and is now suddenly the underdog in the matchup. There you and go. You'd be, you'd be surprised how, how many tickets you cash doing those, right. with those DIA, DIA dogs. So That's keep right. an eye out for those down the road. Uh, and then speaking of the NFC South, you mentioned the Detroit game, of course. So Minnesota, they can get to the postseason. They have to, of course, beat Green Bay. They also need Seattle and Tampa Bay to lose, or they need Seattle and uh, New Orleans to lose. So those are the scenarios for a team that is just one in five in the last six. And the only win, remember, in that in that last six, three nothing over Las Vegas. So mm-hmm. not very impressive. By the way, I looked at it this year and last year. Under Kevin O'Connell, the Vikings in the last six games last year and the last five games this year, including the playoffs, they're one nine and one against the spread. So for whatever reason, Kevin O'Connell, end of the season, Vikings have not been a good cover team. Detroit, meanwhile, as we mentioned, they can clinch the number two seed with a win, but they also need losses by Dallas and Philly. See, that's the point. Yeah, they can go out and win, but that does they still need Dallas and Philly to lose in games where they're supposed to win, which is why there's a you know an understanding that it's possible and maybe more likely that Campbell's gonna rest his players and not risk injury for games that really, I mean, it's just 
pot gold to think that they're they're going to get luck and have Dallas and Philly lose those games. Um, also, I just want to bring up that Patriot Jet game because the Patriots have beaten the Jets 15 straight. They've covered 11 out of 15, and the Jets are one and nine against the spread in the last 10 on the season. Uh, meanwhile, you mentioned that Tennessee. I, I know you you pointed towards it, Andy, uh, with the home dog situation for Tennessee. Well, they're three and one straight up, four and zero against the spread as a home dog this year. They're nine and three straight up, ten and two against the spread in their last twelve as a home dog. But keep this in mind: they're zero and twelve against the spread as a division dog of more than three. When they take on a non-perfect division team, they're zero and one in that spot this year. But that line has now dropped to three and a half. So uh, if uh, if you want Tennessee, you maybe want to hope that that line does continue to come down a little bit. Uh, Jacksonville wins. They're in. They win the South. If they lose, they can still get to the postseason if Pittsburgh and Denver lose. So keep an eye on that and keep that in mind. Uh, also, uh, we talked about Dallas on one hand. But on the other hand, Washington has lost seven straight, one and five against the spread their last six. Three of those losses were by 27 or more points. The Eagles are just one and four straight up, 0 and five against the spread their last five, but they've beaten the Giants five straight, including two weeks ago when they beat them as, as a 14 point favorite by eight points. And of course, the Eagles need the Cowboys to lose. If they win, they win the division. Uh, also, uh, we mentioned the uh, Buffalo Bills game against Miami. Uh, we went through that. And I, I think I, I, we mentioned it. Maybe we didn't. If Bills lose, they can still get in if Pittsburgh and Jacksonville lose. Seattle has beaten Arizona four straight, straight up and against the spread, uh, by eight or more, including the last three by exactly 10 points each. And that was one of those games on October 22nd. They beat Arizona at home by 10 as an eight-point favorite. So this is a good matchup for Seattle. But Seattle can only get in if Green Bay loses and Seattle wins. Very simple scenario, though. But uh, it's one in which Seattle um, – I mean, you, i, I got to ask you guys, what do you think is going to happen in that scenario? You think Seattle gets in or Green Bay? Well, I don't I think like Green, I think Green Bay gets in. I know Mark likes Chicago to, to cover, and they very well might. Uh, but I think Green Bay is going – you know, let's check the weather out there because um, actually that could favor the Bears a little bit with Fields' running ability, uh, and the, if it's windy, it'll hurt the passing game of the uh, Packers. But uh, I think Green Bay wins and gets in, and I wouldn't be shocked. Now, it's going to be the same time as the uh, Seahawks-Cardinals uh, game. I would not be shocked if the Cardinals, who played well down the stretch, have a number of close good good wins. Build a little bit off of last week's win at Philadelphia. Wouldn't be surprised if Arizona wins outright. I'm a, I'm with you, Andy. I think there's pressure, tons of it on Seattle here. And look at them of late here. My goodness, I, I use this phrase often: leaking oil. I mean, they've been outgained six football games in a row, hmm. and here they are laying points in a must-win situation. That's on the road. On the road. That's pressure to the max. For a team like Seattle, and you could say Arizona loses a goose, comes in here off that nice road win as an underdog, closing out the season as a home underdog. I think they too are a live dog in this football game. Hey, and, uh, how how amazing is it that of Arizona's what four wins, two of them were against Dallas and Philadelphia? How about that? That's a real good number. <laughs> wow. uh, but uh, a couple of things I wanted to throw out there, uh, and that is viewer comments. We talked about the best of, but I promised that I was going to keep them up on a more weekly basis. So we do have viewer comments from last week's show. Kevin Finnerty 
because uh, he was talking. We were talking about the Baltimore 49er game, of course. So he 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 says he's going with the 49ers, 100 percent healthy. He believes it'd be a three and a half point favorite in a rematch versus Baltimore, maybe even four. Uh, he mentions that 49ers had five turnovers. That's why they lost, and they still outgained Baltimore pretty easily. Um, what do you think about Kevin's comments? Because my response on that would be sometimes turnovers can be luck, but other times, and most likely it's because the other team is just really good and they force those turnovers. So I think some people, and I'm not saying Kevin's doing this, but I think sometimes people seem to think turnovers are luck. And well, if we just don't turn over the ball next time, well, we'll be okay. Yeah. But you're going to face the same defense that turned those five into big points and a big momentum swing. So I just don't think that that's something that is, you know, just so black and white. What do you guys think? Well, if this was a rematch in the Super Bowl, Baltimore and San Francisco, which it could likely be, I don't think the odds are very, very favorable for Baltimore to put themselves into another 5-0 turnover advantage. <laughs> yeah. That's asking gonna, a lot. Yeah. You're not going to see that, okay? No. It's called returning to the norm. And I yeah. think uh, the big, huge revenge chip on San Francisco shoulder, I think, would propel them to a victory in a football game like this. I don't see them losing twice in the same year to Baltimore. Uh, it's, it's hard to say because I certainly would give Harbaugh the coaching advantage over, uh, Kyle Shanahan, uh, as far as that goes, uh, certainly the perception is that on an individual player basis, San Francisco has the better talent man for man, but it's not necessarily an individual basis that wins games. It's a team basis. And it's hard to argue that there is a, a few teams that play as well if, if or any better than the way Baltimore plays, especially uh, when uh, fully uh, fully healthy. I like what Brock Purdy has done for San Francisco. He's become maybe the most relevant player in the league right now as opposed to the most irrelevant player from uh, his draft class. Good way to at, put it. At the same time, uh, I would uh, I would still prefer Lamar Jackson, certainly a healthy Lamar Jackson, over Purdy. I think uh, uh, Kevin's line of three and a half might be a bit high. Now, I'm looking at a couple of places that have had the Super Bowl matchup uh, on for really the better part of the season. And they've had whoever the NFC representatives, about a one and a half or a two-point favorite over the AFC. It may have been a little higher early, but then again, you take a look at some of the teams in the AFC that have not performed as they were expected to perform. I'm talking about Cincinnati, Buffalo, and Kansas City. Now, Cincinnati's not going to be in the playoffs. Uh, Kansas City is going to be in the playoffs, although they'll be playing on uh, on the road, at least in their opening game. Uh, and then uh, uh, Buffalo, I'm sorry, no, they'll be playing at home in their in their opening game. We don't know about after that who they who they would face depending upon the wild card results. And Buffalo, we don't know if they'll be in the playoffs or not. So the quality of the AFC contenders field is lower than it was expected to be uh, earlier in the season. So I can understand the line coming down. In the NFC, you do have to be a little bit questioned now because who really, uh, you know, who's the main contender to San Francisco right now? The way that uh, Philadelphia has played and Dallas's issues away from home, I could argue it's Detroit, maybe the second best team in the uh, NFC right now. Uh, so I could certainly see San Francisco being favored, but I don't know anything above three. Knowing that Baltimore has played, you know, I, I didn't take a look at, I know that uh, 
San Francisco outgained Baltimore, but I don't know what it was on a yards per play basis. I think they also outgained them slightly in the yards per play basis because when you have all those turnovers and if you're taking advantage of short fields, those are possessions you don't have that you can't gain 40, 50, 60 yards to go downfield and score. So that, that's why I, I like to look at yards per play. It's a better indicator and sort of factors out the, uh, uh, the I won't call them fluke, but the unhandy and capable uh, things such as punt returns, interception returns, fumble returns, etc. I would probably, I'd have to respect what Baltimore has done, uh, and I would probably make that line probably San Francisco too right now. You know, I'll say this, Andy: if uh, if it's anybody other than San Francisco from the NFC in the Baltimore's Super Bowl, favored, Baltimore's favored, absolutely right. What do you think? Uh, and we'll have more than enough time to do this, but we we also need to take a look at the playoff teams for both conferences and the matchups AFC versus NFC, because everybody knows AFC is better. There's more deep, there's more talent. Um, and then a team that wasn't considered at the time to be the number one team went into San Francisco, who was clearly considered the number one team and blew them out. So that's something that's definitely gonna have to come into play is, is the AFC just clearly a better conference than the NFC? And if that's the case, well, why is San Francisco favored over Baltimore then? Well, I'm going to point something out that could actually make a somewhat of a statistical case for the game being a a, a pick'em. I like to take a look at I, I break categories teams down to categories A, B, C based upon win-loss records. A category A team is a team that is uh, more than two games above 500. So right now, after 17 games, uh, eight and six, you'd have to be nine and five or better to be classified as an, an A team. Uh, both teams are six and two straight up, both San Francisco and Baltimore. Baltimore's five, three and one against the spread, San Francisco three, four and one. That's not all that meaningful. What I find meaningful, however, is the average margin of victory in those eight games that they played against the elite teams. Baltimore's margin of victory is 10 is 9.9. San Francisco's margin of victory is 10.6. That's very, very close to uh, to one another, indicating that when you're talking about eight games, you're basically talking about half a season against quality teams, which is about as many as any of these teams have played against the elite teams in, in the league. I could certainly see this game if they opened it, you know, I wonder, based upon how these teams have done and that previous matchup between the Niners and the Ravens, if the game opened Pickham, how many would be immediately drawn to San Francisco and then have to take a look at Baltimore? And how many would be immediately drawn to Baltimore and then take a look at San Francisco? I, it probably won't open Pickham. They'll probably make San Francisco the favorite, but I could see a case for the game being Pickham based upon how close these, te- how close these teams are in their performances against the best teams in the, that they faced. Andy, we called out in the newsletter this week about how good Baltimore actually is. And uh, they've, if you look at their body of work this football season here, against teams that right now would be in the playoffs, that would be mathematically in the playoffs, number seven or better seeds, Baltimore has played eight of those teams and they've won six of those football games. Uh, So they don't take a backseat to too many teams when it comes to taking on good quality opponents. And that's a John Harbaugh trait as well. The better the team the better his teams perform. Uh, let's move on, guys. We're going to put a wrap on this, if we may. Uh, before, uh, Andy, usually I would bring you in uh, right now for your complimentary play, but we're going to save that because I'm going to get your play, Greg's play, and my play, if we may, right after I do sure. our awesome angle of the week on the show this week. And, again, I want to remind everybody that it's being brought to you by our friends at uwager.lv, where they feature monthly 5% rebates on all your losses. 
Same day payouts, monthly 5% rebates on all losses. You have to check it out. You wager lv or give them a call 1-800-U-WAGER. My awesome angle play on the football card this week. I'm going to go back a little bit to what we did last week when we called it divvy up the money. We're going to call this one divvy up the money again. And what we're going to do is to play on any NFL divisional home dog in its final game of the season. If they were a playoff team last year in the playoffs last year, division home dog last game of the season this year, pretty simple. But since 1990, when the uh, when the league expanded, there have been 12 qualifying plays. They've gone 10, 1, and 1 against the spread. That's 91%. They've won five of those 12 games straight up have the home dogs. And who are our play this week? None other than who it was last week, the New York Giants. So the New York Giants will be divvying up the money again this week, and I think they'll take Philadelphia right down to the wire. And with that, Let's share our complimentary plays on the football card this week. Greg, anybody you want to pass along that you might be looking at for a complimentary call this week? Uh, yeah, as I said, I mean, I'm, I, I like both uh, Dallas and Baltimore. Those are the two. Uh, the, one's on a Saturday, one's on a Sunday. So that makes it, uh, you know, that, that's good. You know, if, uh, if I want to do a parlay, I guess I could. But why not? I'll just keep it straight. That's the smart way to do it. And uh, that's the way I'm going to go. And I did pick Washington last week. So I'm I'm uh, I can't hedge it because they're the dog. So that's unfortunate. But even though I'm a Michigan fan, I'm um, I'm I'm still obviously holding to that. And uh, and I think Washington's going to be awfully tough to beat. And uh, you know at least they're getting four and a half. So even if you don't want to take the money line, the point spreads there. So cool. you're going on Washington and against Washington. <laughs> well, against them personally, yes. College? No, no, college and pro. <laughs> well, there you go. That's a good way of uh, looking at it. Absolutely. Fade Washington Sunday, play Washington Monday. Yes. Exactly. Cool. I like it. <laughs> Andy, what's your final thought, your complimentary play on the show this week? I'm going to go with uh, an ugly matchup where very little is at stake. It's certainly nothing at stake as far as uh, playoffs are concerned. That's the game between the New England Patriots and the New York Jets, and I'm going to be on uh, the New England Patriots. Uh, this has been one of the NFL's most one-sided divisional rivalries over the past couple of decades, actually. In fact, since Belichick uh, took over coach of the uh, Patriots in 2000, the Patriots are 37-11 and 11 straight up, 27-19-2 and two against the spread. Now, including their 15-10 and 10, 15 to 10 win earlier this year at, uh, at the Jets, uh, they are 15-0 uh, straight up against the Jets uh, and 11-4 and against the spread with nine of the 15 wins by double digits and all uh, wins by three points or more. In fact, only one was three points or more. The other single-digit wins were by, I think, five or more, including uh, this year's games. Uh, the Pats are 4-12 and this year, their worst record since going 5-11 and in Belichick's uh, first season. Uh, and we'll have, uh, uh, but they, uh, but we've seen the Patriots decline, and uh, this will be uh, their third losing season in the last four. Now we've all heard rumors about Belichick being in his last season uh, as coach of the Patriots. I, I don't think anything will be announced before the game, but I wouldn't be surprised if the players may be informed, but nothing publicly uh, that uh, that he won't be back, whether it be mutually or for other reasons. But I would think that there will be a tremendous effort in a game at home, despite the weather conditions. Uh, neither team has much to say in the way of offense. Both teams are very good defensively. I can't play under a total of 30 and a half, 
Of course, if you had said that about Iowa, you'd probably be something like <laughs> seven and one at a total of 30 and a half this year. But uh, this game may actually represent offensively Iowa against Iowa uh, yes, between the uh, uh, between the Patriots and the, the Jets. But uh, there's always been some resentment. I don't know that we've ever really found out why uh, Belichick has this has disdain for the Jets. It may have something to do with when he was the uh, 24-hour coach of the Jets before uh, he, be he went to New England, and there may have been something with uh, contractual or authority things that caused him to resign 24 hours after uh, accepting the, uh, as I recall, he accepted the Jets' position on a napkin or something. But in any event, he's, he's certainly played like he has a tremendous dislike for the Jets' organization based upon those records. Um, I'm going to be on the Patriots, certainly laying under a field goal. I mentioned it opened one and a half. Patriots went up to two and a half, dropped back down to one and a half, largely, I think, because of the uh, weather forecast. I'm going to look for Bel Bill Belichick to at least go out this season in style, whether it's out for his New England career, we don't know. But uh, I like the matchups for New England. I like their uh, ability to, uh, again, play with a great deal of confidence against the Jets team that it's been a disappointing season, but an understandably disappointing season when your Hall of Fame quarterback goes down on the first series of plays in game one. Can you believe, Mark, that yes. there are Patriot fans that are talking about, well, if Bill Belichick... Uh, leaves New England and he's say pushed out. Let's say he doesn't really, he wants to be there, but he's kind of being he's pushed out. He's not walking out. back, right? Yeah. That the easiest way for him to get revenge is, is he'll go coach the Jets. <laughs> and the first thing I keep, I keep telling these people when I, when they say that is he hates the Jets. That's why he keeps yeah. beating them all the time. I don't care how much he hates. Uh, he can't possibly hate Robert Kraft as much as he hates the Jets. He won Super Bowls with Kraft. So he's not the going only, to the Jets. The only way Greg, that would be carved out would be on Aaron Rodgers' wishes. Okay. Yeah. If Aaron Rodgers want to build Belichick. Then they would try and make to that to that point. You could perhaps make the argument that if Belichick decides to coach, continue coaching, he may take a coaching job with a team that will be playing at New England next year. <laughs> yeah, just to make sure whether it's a division opponent, which would ensure that, yeah. or at Let least check the the I got to check the Charger schedule next uh, after the uh, season ends when it comes out on Monday. Cool. We, oh, we, by the way, that's one That's one thing I had to talk about, you know, Circus Survivor Contest and all that. Uh -huh. The schedules for all 32 NF teams will, the, the chronological order, sequence of games will come out in May. But you will know after the results of Sunday are in who everybody plays. You've got all your divisional matchups uh, already set. You know, so those, those are the six of the 17 games. Uh, you also know what the other divisions you're going to play. The only things you, you may not know, it depends upon the two teams in the two conferences that you do, in, the, in the two divisions that you don't play within your conference, where you finish in the standing. So the first place team will play the first place team in two of the other conferences, in addition to the full conference and the uh, that extra 17th game against the team in the other conference. But you'll know that, and you can start planning ahead for next season, whether you're in the survivor contest or whether you just want to get a feel for which teams you'll be looking to play season over under win totals on which by the way have come out earlier and earlier this year and i think places like draft games i think put them out like either right before or right after the super bowl last year because they know who the opponents are and where they're going to be played just not the sequence in which the games are played interesting very interesting i gotta say andy i'm two thumbs up with you on the new england patriots this week as well whether it's win one for the gipper or the possibility of winning one for the gipper they still dominate the jets and uh they've had a frustrating season have the jets or has new england they played some really rock solid defense 
And I just don't think the Jets on the road are going to be in a frame of mind where they're going to want to go out and do damage against anybody. I like the play as well. Let me get to my complimentary play on the football card this week, guys. And I'm going to take a look. We talked a little bit about it earlier on in the show. I'm going to go into the NFC South Division when the Tennessee Titans host Jacksonville, taking a look at the Titans in the football game. I talked about triple revenge being a big factor in football games in the National Football League when it's triple revenge exact. When Tennessee has been in that role the last five times, they are four and one straight up and against the spread exacting triple revenge exact. They're also six and one to the spread are the Titans in games when coming off a division road game. Jacksonville, we talked about their woes here of late, just two and 17 on the road in their final road game of the season. Just two and nine to the spread away against 400 or fewer opponents. They tend to stay to play down to their level. And we all know about Jacksonville's woes of late here. This is a football team that's unraveling at the threads. They're like a Christmas tree this time of the year where the pine needles are falling off. They're doing that with Jacksonville here right now as well. Give me Tennessee plus the points for my side and my complimentary call this week. And by, and by the way, one thing about New England, who would have thought in our lifetime we'd be saying for next year, Patriots play a last-place schedule. <laughs> yeah, that would be really rare. Yeah, and a top-five draft pick. Yeah, because yeah, because even if they win, they they'll finish a game behind the Jets. By the way, that's another reason to uh, to like Belichick, uh, as we mentioned, going up against his, his most hated rival with an opportunity to at least close within a game of them. Good news, good stuff, good show, guys. A lot of good information here. This is Mark Lawrence for Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. Greg DePalmer, our producer from Prime Sports Network. And Victor King, who is not with us this week, but will be back next week. Jim Feist in Vegas the same way. Until then, this is Mark Lawrence once again reminding you to always remember to bet with your head, not over it. And good luck as always. 